Welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2023 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he does every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? Been a long time. It's been a long time, man. It's been a long time. You know, I've been tracking, you know, your recent tweets, you know, as you get spun up for the season. And um, it's been a crazy off season so far, but yeah. crazy good in a lot of ways. And so I'm um, very interested in hearing your thoughts um, about what we've done thus far. Uh, Panthers have the number one draft pick. You know, Friday yeah. was a uh, really good day for a lot of Panthers fans because, you know, we've been so QB thirsty, QB starved. And, you know, for the last few seasons, really trying to figure out that position. We struggled through some, you know, through some some players from we're really going back to 2019 with Kyle Allen after Cam Newton went down and next season we go with Teddy Bridgewater. Um you sprinkle in some PJ Walker in there and then you know you go out bit of Will, bit, bit of Will Greer as well in 2019. Yeah a little bit of Will Greer. Um and then go to 2021 and you trade for Sam Donald, and that didn't go as planned, and you get back Cam and some more P.J. Walker in there as well. And then um, 2022, Baker Mayfield, you trade for him, um, and he starts the season after a short training camp and all of that. And, you know, you go out and, you know, earlier that year you drafted Matt Corral. And, and, and I know, and I'll say this before we get started, I apologize, you know, for uh, my excitement for Baker. You were trying to to get me to see the light on why Baker wouldn't work, and but I was a big Baker fan before he he came to Carolina, and I was just trying to stick with the guy that I like, you know, personally. But uh, but I've learned the lesson that just liking a guy doesn't translate to him performing well in the situation that you're in, and I don't think that Baker would look bad in every situation but he didn't look great for us and so but this isn't about Baker Mayfield Baker Mayfield is a thing of the past uh Matt Corral was another guy during the draft process that I if I recall correctly you didn't have him very high either I no, had I, I I I mean don't wrong I, none of the quarterbacks last year were amazing but yeah. I, I think Corral was a top three or four quarterback last year you know I I I, I mean we can get into the whole I, I you can get into it already I, I think I think the, you know the Matt Corral pick, I like the player. I like the value that they got with the pick. I think the issue with the Matt Corral pick is what has exactly happened this offseason. You get a yes. new head coach. You know, you spend, if you spend a third-round pick on a developmental quarterback in a year where there's a pretty good chance your coach gets fired, yeah, you know, your coach gets fired, and now you, you're looking back and you're going, well, okay, that that he's he might end up starting early this season. Who knows? He could end up playing. But but there's a, there's a chance he just never, ever really sees the field. And and right. not because he's bad, but just because, you know, the Panthers have now got the first overall pick. You know, Matt Corral is now definitely, or almost certainly not the quarterback of the future for the Panthers. And so you end up blowing a pick on a player who, who, who isn't necessarily bad, but who just never fit what you were doing. And I think this is the, uh, I think this, you know, if, you, if we want to talk about the trade to get to number one, which we probably should, and it's really yeah. the majority of what we talk about today. Yeah, um, because because all of that 
led to where we are now, right? Yeah. You know, you have Matt Corral. You traded up for him last year uh, from the fourth to the third so you can get a guy. And like you said, you know, for me, he was like number two or number three, kind of went back and forth, you know, as a prospect last year for me in that draft class. Um, but I definitely saw things that I did like about him. Um, and, you know, we hope that he would get a chance to see the field maybe late last season, but him getting injured in his first preseason game really took away any opportunity for him to showcase what he could do um, as a quarterback in NFL. So he's essentially a rookie again, right? Yeah. And um, so we go in this year, we have Frank Reich, a new coach, a coach who I like, you know, a lot of people were mixed about him, but I was always keeping an eye on Frank Reich uh, as a potential new head coach for the Carolina Panthers. One, because he was available um, after being fired from Indy, but, you know, he's a respected offensive mind. Um, I know Dave Tepper wanted that, you know, and he's a he's good with quarterbacks. Um, he doesn't have a history of working with rookie quarterbacks. And yeah. so that's going to be, you know, something that we find out here in Carolina, if it's something that he can really do. But I, I think he can. I believe he can. And he has a lot of people around him to help, like Jim Caldwell. Yeah, and- I say, Jim, Jim, Jim I, I, I must say, you know, if I I think Jim Caldwell would have been my preferred candidate. But the fact that he ended up on the coaching staff anyway is is kind of. Yes, uh, I, must, I, I think this is a is a very good coaching staff they put together. Yeah, yeah and, and and so that said, I knew that they were very intentional about how they approached the quarterback position. And because they're a new staff, Matt Corral being drafted last year, although I think he still can play, um, he isn't a priority for them, you know, as they start their new journey as a coaching staff here in Carolina. So the trade, the trade to number one. Obviously, there was chatter about Carolina being aggressive all offseason, especially during the combine week. You know, everybody around the NFL was was mentioning Carolina as a team that is looking to make a move. They're going to be aggressive. There was links to them talking to at least five of the quarterbacks, I think maybe even six. I believe Matt Duggan got thrown in there at the end, too. So we knew that they were intentional about seeing these, these prospects in, in Indianapolis. And, you know, to me, there's a good, you know, two, you know, that I I know are good for a fact in my mind. I know you might have some different thoughts on that. And then you have like two two guys who I think are, are projects. Um, and then one guy's injured. And we're going to go through those guys. But Carolina wanted to make sure that they had the right to pick their guy. And they made a move for that pick. So, you know, that was a pretty bold move. They gave up a lot. Tell me what you think about the pick or the trade, I should say, the trade to get the pick um, to select our next franchise quarterback. So I think the best way I can start, I was trying to think about how to phrase this earlier. You know, we we live in a probabilistic universe. You know, you, the 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 you this this is not definitely good or bad. It depends what you do with it. You know, you you, you can you can end up making all kinds of bad decisions and they still pan out. So if the Panthers, regardless of you know what I think right now, if the Panthers get an elite quarterback out of this trade, no one will care what they gave up for it because it will be worth it. And and if they pick the wrong guy and they bust, it, it's really not good. I think what, what you you know what they end up getting out of it is is kind of separate from what they did, but the decision that they made because because of the nature of the quarterback in the NFL, if they get that decision right. 
it doesn't matter. It, it, it's purely about are they likely to get that right and, and, and what are the likely repercussions if they get that wrong? So I think the, the issue I have with this trade is more... It, it's basically, you know, whatever approach you take in the NFL, you can make it pay off. And whatever approach you take, you can screw it up. You know, right. You know, ultimately, you can do, you know, if you look at, say, trade value or pick value, you can do all the right things and make bad picks or unlucky picks. And you can do all the wrong things and just luck into great players. You know, yeah. You know, the, the Patriots did not somehow divine that Tom Brady was going to become Tom Brady. You know, the, the, you know, he just they 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 just got lucky, frankly. They did. You know, and, and you know, as much as you know, you can talk about the 49er strategy on things like the George Kittle pick, they got lucky too. If they knew he was gonna be as good as he became, they would not have waited to the fifth round to draft him. Same with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, same with yeah. all kinds of players for all sides of teams. So you you can you know just dumb luck is a huge part of all of this. It is. So it really is. I think what I would say is that this trade puts a huge amount of pressure on the Panthers to make consistently good decisions over the next two to three years. Right. So, so if they do, then it pays off because if you get that franchise quarterback and you're able to account for the lost picks by being really good at drafting, that's great. That's wonderful. You pay it off. Wonderful. Who cares? Great, great, great future for the Panthers. The issue is, is that if, you know, it's one thing where if you, you have to get both parts right. If they if they bust on this quarterback pick, it's no one is going to look back on this trade and think they did a good job because ultimately that's that is the standard with which this trade is now going to be held to. You have to find a franchise quarterback who is right. who is who who can win you games for a decade plus. But even if they do do that, if they cannot draft effectively through the rest of their draft this year, next year, the year after, and make free agent signings that complement what they're doing you're still going up in a position where you probably think actually you didn't get a great deal. You know, mm-hmm. if, 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 yeah, essentially that, you know, this puts a lot of pressure because the Panthers, if you look at this roster, so it may be a better way to put it, if you compare what the Panthers have just done to what the Chiefs did going in game Mahomes, the Chiefs had, I think, either an 11 of five or a 12 and four record. Well, they before. had, yeah, they had a twelve and four record. They had a quarterback who could proven who was proven to win games in place. They had a generally good roster, and they were trading away picks that ultimately were not you know getting a slightly better number two receiver or a slightly better you know inside linebacker was never going to win them that championship. They they made a move that took them from being a good team to potentially being a great team. Right. The flip side of that is that if Mahomes had bust, if Mahomes had never turned out to be anything in the NFL, completely just dead in the water, they were still, you know, the year he, they, the year they drafted him, he did not play until the final game of the season where they already had won the division. They went yeah. 10 and 6 and won the division with him not playing as a rookie. You know, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good team. And that even if that blows up in your face, you're back to still being a good team. Yeah. The issue is, is the Panthers are not a good team. And so if this blows up in their face, they're going to be a not good team with very few draft picks. Well, let me talk about that for a second, right? Because I think last year really has confused a lot of fans about who the Panthers currently are. We went into last season with the lame duck coach and Matt Rule, and most of us knew that. And they started out, what, one and five with Matt Rule? 
Yep. Right. And one so four, one, yeah, one and four, I think. One and four, yeah, one and four. So, so one and four with Matt Rule, and then in comes Steve Wilkes, yep. and and Steve Wilkes' first game, I believe it was versus the Rams. Uh, we lost that game. You know, we didn't look like a competent team offensively. You know, but we hang in there for a while. We ran the ball well, and you know, but that was the game where Robbie Anderson blew up on the sideline, and and then in the next. 24 hours they had traded away Robbie Anderson. Um, by the end of that week, I believe they had traded away Christian McCaffrey. And so they came out swinging the week after that. And and all of a sudden, people saw that this team had talent. You know, they, they had some fight. They could win. You know, they were obviously motivated and playing for Steve Wilkes, um, you know, who was a great leader of men, and, and they responded well to him. And then we went, what, six and six, you know, over the final 12 games of the season. Yeah. yeah. And so I think a lot of fans believe, like, man, you know, like, if we could go six and six, you know, with what we were working with last year, then we might be a good team, right? You know, we might be a good team and good enough to just insert a quarterback in there, and then they'll take us to being a great team. Um, but I know – you know, my gut says, you know, like just pump your brakes a little bit because we're not there yet. And you know, when you when you went back to the Kansas City example, I think everybody kind of forgets the rise of Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and how it actually happened versus versus what we believe happened um, because we weren't really paying attention back then. Um, they were a good team, just as you outlined. You know, they were a really good team. They were a team that was going to make the playoffs. With Alex Smith, regardless yeah. of who the and, quarterback or anybody else, you know, and, he and, was, and they had a coach who they knew was active. You know, and Andy Reid was going to be a good coach who was going to elevate whoever you put a quarterback. Exactly, he's he's elevated every every quarterback that's ever played for him. He's made look better than they probably actually are. And yeah. even though Patrick Mahomes is the most talented of anyone I've seen play with Andy Reid, he undoubtedly makes him better too. Yeah, right, and so. So they have a an infrastructure for winning. They had it in place before Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, he pushed them over the top. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers currently does not have an infrastructure that's where you could trust to win year over year. Yeah. We don't have that in place. You, yeah, um, and I, and I think that's. I mean, it's one of these where you you look you know, you look at say the six and six record, and then you look at the roster right now. You know, this is a roster that needs quite a lot more pieces. You know, this is not a team that is a quarterback away. You know, right. You need at least two more receivers. You need a tight end. You need a running back. At, at least one more running back and at least yeah. one more tight end. I agree. Uh, you need at least one, probably two, three techs. You probably need another edge rusher. You know, right now, Itagros Matos is the only three tech on the roster, and he's not really a three tech. You know, he's you not. Know, but, and you're playing. You're going to move into a three-four. So who who are those three right now? Because right now it's Ito Gross, Makovs, Derek Brown, and nobody. Like and nobody. You know, it, 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 you know, maybe McCall. Got, yeah, yeah, but in which case you're moving Derek Brown to a three-tech, and so you're ending up with this team that can't really rush the passer, but is really good against the run. Yeah. Um, but and then you've got you know you're going to have Brandon Smith starting at linebacker right now, who could be really good, but you, you don't know. He's played like you know, 100, 200 defensive snaps in his entire career. Right. Xavier Woods is a 
okay safety, but you know, he's probably not your long-term answer at free safety. No. You're still trying no. to work out where you can play Jeremy Chin. You've got Luvu is on an expiring contract. Brian Burns is on an expiring contract. Jack Thompson yeah. is now not on expiring contract, but you know, <laughs> has one more year left. Yeah. You know, you know, it, it's it's not that this is some terrible, hopeless roster that has that has no chance, but it's not a roster that 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 can be sort of, you know, you stick a quarterback in and it's, you know, the quarterback works and everything is now great and you're winning. Well, you know, you, people think people think that the Carolina Panthers have a top 10 defensive roster, you know, top I five. I, I've, I've, I've seen throw, people throw around top five with with Ezra Evero coming in to take over. And, and I think people have forgotten what you tried to warn them of last year. I believe you said something to the effect, and it's been over a year, so I might have the, the numbers wrong. But I think you said that Hassan Reddick was like accountable for like 30 plus percent of our pass rush rate or, you know, win rate. Pre- pressure rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the pressure rate. It was the pressure rate. And <laughs> you warned us that we weren't going to be able to replace that production easily, right? Yeah. You know, we were going to miss that. And I mean, and that's pretty obvious, but. I don't think people realize how much we actually missed that, right? And so um, we enter the second year without a true answer to, um, you know, who replaces that that production um, that that we that we lost with losing Hassan Reddick. You know, we still have Brian Burns, but like you said, he's on an aspiring deal, and you know they haven't extended him yet. You know, there's energy around them giving him a large contract. Um, I personally, and I hate saying this, but you know, this is the place to talk freely, at least for me. I'm not hundred percent sold that that has to happen. Um, you know, I know that I know I see the sensibility in doing it. He's a he's a fine player. Um, but I know that if you sign him, especially if you don't sign him until after Nick Bosa or some other top pass rusher gets their deal, it's gonna be $25 million tied up to that position. And is he that guy, you know, that you're going to commit, you know, that salary to and however many guaranteed dollars that's going to be associated with it um, to that position? I mean, I, I could I could I could see it, but is it something that we have to do? I don't know yet, because, you know, we last year, I didn't know if we had to give DJ Moore that the contract that we gave him and, you know, and, yeah, and I, I can see I, it. I, I, I can I, I, see it, but I don't know if he had to do it. You know. See, I, I think if you look back, I think that DJ Moore contract is a very good contract. I, no, I think it, overall, based on where they did it and you know what the market did after him, yes, I agree. Yeah. But it, I just at that time, you know, before they did it, I just was a person that would have been like, okay, if we didn't do it, I'll be fine. You know, but we did it, and I'm fine. I think Brian Burns is going to be kind of the same for me. I think the thing that you know, I'm still trying to sort of articulate my thoughts on this trade. I think the thing that it comes back to is that if you know the Panthers, you know, let's be honest, it's going to be a quarterback first overall. You know, it, you know, there's not. I know there's been some talk about the Panthers potentially trading down from one. But if they do that, that is not a good sign. I imagine that's just <laughs> sm- that's just smoke. If, you know, if, if you is. if you if you trade the house to get to one and then trade back, that suggests you hadn't got a clue what you were doing when you traded for one. Well, I think I think the only the only scenario when I saw that I was like the only scenario where I would even entertain that is if I'm really convicted of a guy that I don't think is going to go number one exactly. Like let's say I've talked to 
if I'm Scott Fitterer and I've talked to Houston and Houston yeah. basically saying, look, we want to move up number one to take um, CJ Stroud or whatever. And, and Bryce Young is my guy. And but the thing like, is, what, what, why, why would Houston tell you that? I know. They, 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 unless they, the I think the only, t only way it works is if both teams have got their, is their first choice is the same because then they have a reason to trade up with you. But if they, yeah. if, if Houston, you know, if you really want CJ Stroud and Houston really wants Bryce Young, why would they trade up for number one? Because they know you're going to take CJ Stroud and they're going to get Bryce Young anyway. Well, I mean, I, I think in my mind, they don't know what you will or won't do, but they can assure themselves like they can get their guy because you might be 50-50 on top two or whatever, right? But they want the opportunity to get their guy, let you pick, you know, the other guy. I don't, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I'm just no, saying that I, that's, I, that's the I, far as back as I would go because I think because of how I see the top two myself, but yeah, maybe logically as a, as a GM, it doesn't, it won't work that way, but yeah. The, the, that's, the, that's as far as back as I would go. I mean, you're right. If if you get up to number one and then you trade back, then to me that sends a signal that you really. It, it sends a signal. Yeah, you sense. Yeah, it sounds like you you acted like out of desperation rather than because you actually yeah. had a plan, which might be yeah. true. But right. um, I, I, I that's I I would say that's very unlikely to happen. Well, let me ask you this question before we uh you know move on with this number one pick discussion. The compensation. How do yeah. you feel about the compensation? I mean, I, I think this is the thing is, it, it, okay, I think the one thing I can definitely say is I, I think including DJ Moore in the deal was not a great idea. Um, I know it's been talked that, you know, the other option was to put, you know, it's been suggested that they did that to avoid having to put a 2015 first in place. Frankly, I would have put that 2015 in place in a heartbeat ahead of DJ Moore. You know, if, if, if this plan works, if you get your franchise guy, you would expect to be quite a good team by 2025. Yeah. You know, what, if, 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 you, would you trade DJ Moore for the 20th pick in 2025 right now? No. Well, you know, I, well, I, I think, I think you have to kind of look at it like this. I, I respect, you know, what you just said. And, you know, I, and, and there's a lot of people who share that same sentiment. I think ever since I knew that DJ was, in trade discussions, I believe in November last year, um, November 2022, I think Green Bay was interested. I believe that was the team. I always felt like if they traded him, it would be for the purpose of packaging whatever trade value you got from him into something to move up to get your guy this year anyway. And while it might have been a 2023 first round pick that you was getting from a Green Bay, which would have been you know, in hindsight, better 15. than I would have expected it. Yeah, it was been, you know, in the teens, I guess. But, you know, it would have been a pick that you were going to basically give up anyway to get, you know, to make a move to get your guy. And so I don't love the idea of losing DJ Moore by any means, right? You know, but I look at it, I'm probably one of the people that was like, I'm I'm glad that, I, that we saved the 2025 pick. Yeah, when we get to that point, I hope that it's a bad pick. You know, I hope that's a horrible pick. But in the short term, I think, you know, we talked about this. I don't know if it was pre-recording or, you know, during the recording. Um, you know, you have to kind of, you know, weigh, you know, like, eh, you know, like, is 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 it good for the short term or is it good for the long term? See, right? see I, I, I think the thing is, is that if you get a year or two down the line and you're like, ah, oh, this hasn't worked, 
right, we need to hit reset. You're trading yeah. DJ more anyway. So you could always yeah. have flipped him for that pick in a year or two's time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, we're not in the room. We don't know exactly what the discussions were and what the Panthers would have had to have given up to avoid having to give up DJ Moore. Yeah. I think given how poor your skill positions are already, giving up your one quality skill position player was probably not a great idea. No, I mean, and obviously, I think it was the the one thing that Chicago wanted to make sure that they got back in return, you know, f- you know for our desperation was like, okay, you know, you want to get, you know, we can get number nine from you. We can get whatever your top pick in 2024 would be. But we want to make sure that we build something around our young quarterback and we get something that's a sure thing, right? And you have what we consider a sure thing on your roster. Um, and we don't know how much you value him, but we value someone like that. So we want him. So if you want this pick over whoever else might be trying to trade up and get it, then you got to give us that guy. Because yeah. that guy is better than whatever the other team could offer us at yeah. the same position. And 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 again, if if this ends up working and they get their guy, then I don't think anyone will worry about having lost DJ Moore. You know, I don't think so either. But, but I, because in, I, one one thing I do think is this: I think that now that you have an offensive staff, right? You know, this is something that we haven't had in Carolina, you know, ever really. You know, an yeah. offensive minded head coach, somebody like Jim Caldwell, you know, assisting him. The positional coaches are good. I think these guys, in their mind, I think they look at someone like DJ Moore and the skill set that he has, right? And it's like, okay, we'll lose a DJ Moore. But in how I conceptualize this offense working with the QB that we envision drafting, there are several wide receivers who we may acquire via free agency or via trade who we think can maybe not replace DJ Moore in terms of performance, but maybe they can. You know, maybe, I think we can get a productive yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you will replace DJ Moore unless you get very lucky. You know, I think, I yeah, think, DJ, I mean, I think D, you have to D, be a little D, bit lucky. D, DJ is a legitimately top 10 receiver in the NFL. Whew. I mean, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be on the Panthers podcast and object against that. But, Top but 10 I, is, that's lucky though, but he's good. He's I think good. I, I think I went through and counted players who I think are at least in the conversation of being better than DJ Moore. And it is, you know, I don't think he's top five, but I think he is top 10. Yeah, you know, he top is. 10, I mean, I can see him being on the, on the cusp of top 10, somewhere between 10 and 15. I, I mean, I haven't, you know, gone out and looked at these guys and, you know, counted them on my hand or anything to see how many there are. But, you know, but DJ, DJ, He's he's very dependable, um, you know, and he's had to deal with a lot of, you know, marginal QB play across yeah. the years. He never had a, a top quarterback he is, he thrown is, to him. Since he entered the league, he is top 10. In, in statistically, he is a top 10 receiver yeah. since entering and, the league. And that's, and that's and, what I'm and, saying. And, I, and, and with rubbish QB play. And, and I would have to credit him for that. So, yeah, I mean, he may project to be top 10 once you consider everything and his consistency. Year over year, and, and considering that he hasn't played with quarterbacks, a lot of the other top receivers have. Yeah, um, I mean, I, but, so I think replacing him is, you, you know, you, you, but again, okay, you can replace him in the average. You know, you can, you know, going for money yeah. ball, you can replace him in the average. But yeah. all that does mean is it means you now have to make, and this is kind of what go back to the original point, you do have to make consistently good decisions through right. draft and free agency. Because if you, know, if you, you know, going on to free agency in a second, but if you look through the roster, you you need. Another running back, yeah, probably probably two, yeah. Uh, you need in the short term, they'll need to find a, a veteran quarterback as well. I reckon. 
you need at least two receivers, if not three. You need at least one tight end, if not two. You right. need uh, at least... You know, you're probably, probably going to go and sign Bozeman, let's be frank. I think that probably gets done. Yeah. Um, but they probably need at least one, if not two, depth pieces on the offensive line. You need probably two starting free techs. You need another edge rusher, at least. Um, you need probably one more linebacker, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. And you probably need a long-term answer at free safety and then possibly some quarterback depth down the line, depending on how players develop. You know, that's a lot of things you've got to fit. And you don't have to do it all in one off-season. You know, the, I think this is crucial. You know, the Panthers do not have to do everything this off-season. Right. But given that you are now operating, you know, you don't, you've lost one of your second-round picks this year. You don't have a first-round pick next year or a second-round pick the year after. <laughs> and yes, you can trade down to recoup some of that draft capital. You know, I, I think, you know, as we get across the draft, I think that 39th pick is one that they could definitely move back from. I think um, so, too. Probably not loads, but if you move back to, say, 45, 50, 55, and get another third-round pick out of it, that gives you a bit more flexibility and stuff, or some future picks, or some later day three picks. But there is a lot of things that need to happen for this roster to go from where it is to a genuinely competing roster. Yeah. And the thing is, is you know, I know next off-season they've got a lot of cap room, but you've yeah. also got a lot of players hitting free agency that you're going to need to replace. You know, yeah. Jer- Jeremy Chin will be a free agent. Brian Burns will be a free agent. Frankie Louvre will be a free agent. Um, CJ Henderson is probably going to be a free agent. Uh, I can't remember who else is a free agent next offseason. Um, Maybe Chenault. Is, is that Chenault's year? Yeah, I think Chenault might be as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's not nothing, but you know, if you're saying you're paying Brian Burns, going to be even if it's twenty million, you know, you're going to have to spend thirty, forty, fifty million bringing back the guys you're going to lose in free agency anyway. You know, it, it, it's this is not a team that sort of got a huge depth of young talent that's going to fill out 90% of the roster and you just need to cherry pick guys. You know, going back to the Kansas City example, that first year, after that first year, they went and signed Sammy Watkins and they went and added you know, key pieces in, in free agency to build around Mahomes because they basically had 90% of the roster in place. This is a, a team that maybe has 45% of the roster in place, maybe 50%. And, and they're going to have to build that other 50% with limited resources. And, and you absolutely can do that. You've just yeah. got to be really consistently good at both drafting and free agency. No, I, I do. It, it It definitely puts a lot of pressure, as you mentioned before, on the Carolina Panthers personnel staff to really hit on free agents. They have to hit in the draft, you know, when they have yeah. opportunities to pick. You know, not a whole lot of project guys. I mean, obviously, you know, in the draft, you're going to take swings at some guys on day, you know, late day two, Day three, you know, where you know, just hoping that they pan out to be guys, but, but, yeah. you know, but, but also the last, the last couple of years they have drafted a lot of project guys, yeah. And it's been a lot of project guys because I, I, you know, Rule and Snow and you know, their involvement in the process, especially with the defensive picks. Um, I think that in their minds, you know, they went with the model that they used back in college, you know, but. I don't think they had the staff around to really truly develop those guys. I think what we have to see from Frank Wright and the staff that they built around Frank is his staff, like when they go and draft a guy or they go out and get a guy at free agency who hasn't hit their full potential yet, that they show the ability to develop yeah. in a better way than we've seen rules regime. Because I think that's the thing that kind of, got lost in, you know, in, in, in rules failures as a head coach was 
there was no evidence that he was really elevating the guys that he drafted. Yeah. I think he drafted decent guys, you know, even if they were projects. I think you could you could justify why he went after a guy where he did for the most part, besides Thomas Fletcher. Um, but almost everybody else, you can kind of justify why he drafted the guy. But when that guy got to Carolina, he didn't go into a program that really elevated who he was. Like I saw um I saw an interview with with D'Amico Ryans, you know, when after accepting the job in Houston. And that was the first time I really had heard D'Amico speak as a coach. You know, I, I yeah. haven't seen him, you know, do any coordinator talks when he was in San Francisco. So I was like, you know, I wanted to see how this guy was as a candidate because I, you know, I thought he was somebody that Carolina would get a chance to talk to, although he declined this. But I was like, I just want to see, you know, how sharp this guy is. And, you know, one thing that he made mention of of why they were so good out there in San Francisco on defense was because of the work he was able to do with the the day three guys, yeah. the fourth and fifth rounders, right? You know, making those guys into players that you now recognize as, you know, as, as like good players on their defense. And they got production from a lot of guys that weren't marquee guys coming into the draft, but they produce now. I think Carolina has to get to a point where they can get production out of day two and day three guys like Kansas City, for an example. Look at Kansas City doing the Super Bowl like their secondary. Like, I I don't know if it's like I think three of their starters in their secondary were like rookies or like, you know, like really young guys. And they were out there competing um, on the biggest stage in year one, you know, because they have an infrastructure that develops young talent and um so so it's going to be two parts identifying and acquiring talent um in free agency and in the draft so picking the right guys but also having the ability to develop those guys to become contributors and we haven't had that in years yeah and i think the the key part that brings both those together i think is is you know as i said before you know with, with, with drafting a quarterback first overall, which we can kind of assume is what's going to happen, right? it's going to be multiple years before you know whether you hit on that pick. Yeah, the yeah. Quarterbacks just, very few quarterbacks are definite yeses or noes after one or two seasons. Right. What you can judge in the short term is whether there is a coherent plan to build around that player. And so one thing yeah. I, I talked about on Twitter a bit a while ago that I think kind of gets missed a bit is rookie quarterbacks do not lead to winning in the short term. Like, Almost no quarterbacks have made the playoffs as a rookie. Like it's very, right. very rare. Particularly quarterbacks who came into teams that were not amazing. You know, Russell Wilson. You know, there, there are there are some exceptions, but generally rookie quarterbacks don't make the playoffs. Right. Um, and so what that means is is that if you're if you're looking at the Panthers and how they're building, although they're in a weak division and they shouldn't just you know they, they you know they have no first round pick next year. There's no point in tanking. But you have to look at it and go okay. We need to be in the best position possible possible for 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027. There is no point going all in on 2024 because that does not fit our development window for our key pieces, namely this quarterback you're going to draft. You know, yeah. if, and so if, if, if you go out and you throw a load of one and two year like big contracts at 34-year-old veterans, that is <laughs> not, you know, that, that might help you win this year but that is not a coherent strategy for building long-term. And this is a real issue under the rule regime. You know, I, I think in terms of face value, the Stefan Gilmore trade was fantastic. You know, the Panthers mm-hmm. got great value from that trade. 
it still made no sense. Why are you trading for a guy on an expiring contract who's towards the end of his career? You know, you're not a team looking to compete for Super Bowls. You know, yeah. you, you, you're, you're making a great de- deal for some other team that's not you. Right. And in the same way that, you know, I, I it, it, there was never this coherence under the, the last two or three years of free agency and the draft working together to, for a coherent goal. It was never clear whether they were competing, trying to win a championship this year, next year, the year after, or five years from now. There was just no, the timeline seemed very confused. Yeah. And so I think the thing I really want to see this offseason that you can judge in the short term is are the moves they're making part of a coherent whole? You know, given that the, the first assumption has to be we are building for the future around this rookie quarterback we're going to draft. Yeah. So yeah. are all the moves you're making moves that fit the timeline of building around a rookie quarterback? You mentioning that made me think of something else that's occurred within the last week. Okay. Because I'm with you, right? We have traded for the number one pick in the draft. And when most teams do that, they do that with the mentality of, we're going to build this thing around this Ricky QB, and we're going to do it methodically. We're going to be deliberate. We're going to be patient, right? Yeah. And in three in three to four years, we should be competing for championships around what we built with yeah. that rookie quarterback, right? Because that's why we wanted him, right? Yeah. We wanted the rookie so he would be on a cheap rookie deal and we could leverage that for five seasons um, while we build around that deal, right? Yeah. And so year three of that, we're competing with that guy. We know who he is. He's good enough to win with, and we're going to put the pieces around him to win. The Panthers had a choice, and like 30 other teams, to go a different route if they didn't want to do that. Yeah. And that choice was given to us by the Ravens when they put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson on Tuesday. Yeah. Right? So before we traded for this pick on Friday, I was driving myself crazy thinking of why we weren't in the conversation for Lamar Jackson. What were your thoughts when you saw the Ravens had put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson? That that was a good opportunity for teams to, you know, it, the reality of the non-exclusive franchise tag is that as a team that is not the Ravens, you ultimately are not in control because whatever you do, they can always just say, oh, yeah, we'll match it. Yeah. Uh, so there is always that caveat. It's not, you know, it's not a player hitting free agency where every team has equal access. But right. I personally, you know, I, when I was starting to think about, you know, before everything happened and I was starting to think about what, what I wanted to kind of, how, what, how to frame this off season. I think it's one of those things where that timeline, if you talk about you know, trying to win the short term or trying to win in the long term, Lamar Jackson is the only option that does both. Yeah. You know, you know, of, of, all the, of all the options you have, he is a, 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 an MVP caliber player in his prime who could play for another decade. Certainly could right. play for another seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, and I think 
every team that needs a quarterback should have had a go at Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Me too. Now, I, th- I, you know, and and I, so my my younger brother, who is a Jets fan, texted me and was like, "Why are we not going after Lamar? What what, what is what is happening? Why is this not happening?" Especially and, them. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Uh, um, and I think that you know there are a few reasons why teams aren't going after Lamar. And the way I kind of framed it to him is that some of it is collusion, some of it is stupidity, and right. some of it is cheapness. And I I, I think though different teams have different reasons. I think I think you know. I can't remember who it was, but someone on Twitter who covers the Raiders, you know, basically came out and said the Raiders ownership do not have the money to put the money in escrow to guarantee his deal. You know, the money he is asking for, they simply do not have that money because so for those who aren't aware, for all guaranteed money for NFL contracts have to be put in escrow, which means cash in a bank that cannot be touched and that basically is underwriting the guaranteed money in that contract. So if the Panthers wanted to sign Lamar Jackson. If they signed him to a five-year, two hundred and fifty million, fully guaranteed deal, David Tepper himself, not the Panthers franchise, David Tepper has to take that money and put it in the bank. There's two hundred fifty million in cash, and so for some owners like David Tepper or the you know the whoever owns the Broncos, whose name I keep forgetting, you know that's not a problem. But there are lots of te- you know families or individuals who have owned NFL teams for long a long period of time, who who you know who, if they were not owners of NFL teams, would not be billionaires. And so like the Davis family simply, you know, according to the reporting I saw, just do not have the cash to underwrite that kind of deal. They just they they couldn't they they just couldn't have afforded to be part of those discussions. Yeah. So there are there are teams, I think them, uh, the Bengals obviously aren't interested for different reasons, but there there are a few teams that are known to just simply not have that kind of cash. Right. Excluding those teams, I think some of it is I mean, for the Panthers, I think David Tepper just really wanted a rookie. I think he'd done, from everything I hear and understand, he was fed up of trying veteran quarterbacks, having you know failed to get back to work for three years. And so, you know, I think it was... Uh, well, you, you think it's a little bit of um, fear of rejection again? I mean, like... I mean, I... The, the, the comparison I heard uh, was it's like George Costanza, just opposite. Opposite, you know, you know, just whatever we've tr- whatever we tried haven't worked, so we're just going to do the opposite. Whatever we've done before, whether or not there's any rationale to it, we're just going to do the opposite. We've tried veterans, so we're doing rookies. You know, it, it just a black and white. Nope, that doesn't work. We're trying this. I mean, that makes sense because uh, of like you know the way the coaching hire went. You know, we we tried defense, so we go on offense. You know, we yeah, we've, we've tried inexperience, so we're going for someone who's been an NFL head coach. But, you know, it is just you know, yeah. Whatever we've done before, let's just do the opposite and see if that works. And so I think there are lots of teams that are just run badly and didn't sign Lamar Jackson, not through some nefarious collusion, but just because they're not run very well. Right. And I mean, and and I can't say that we're outside that list right now. Right. You know, like just because we made, I think, a, you know, a solid head coach and hire, I think, you know, and the staff that we built around him, obviously we've gotten rave reviews around the league for the staff that we built in Carolina. So it looks like we're trending in the right direction from that standpoint, but when you look at the decisions that that's been made around the quarterback position and Dave Tepper's alleged involvement in those decisions, then it's, you know, I don't know if we all that different from bad or poorly ran organizations. And so, um, so Dave Tepper, I think still has some things to prove whether that's by, being more active or being less active as an owner when it comes to selecting I, the quarterback? I think it's the latter. 
I think this is one of the things like if you go back to the Scott Fitterer conversation of, you know, were the Panthers right to keep the GM in place when they fired the head coach? I think the issue is if you're trying to evaluate Scott Fitterer as a GM, he yeah. has spent his career so far squished between a head coach who had too much power and an owner who wanted to meddle too much. And yeah. so it was always very unclear what his job actually was, like well, you know, how much of a decision he got to make, because Matt Rule did ultimately have personnel, you know, you know, had, had a veto on personnel decisions. David Tepper, by all accounts, has effectively got a veto on person, on at least on major personnel decisions, and, and certainly is willing to express his opinion inside the building about what he wants them to do. So, yeah. you know, I think Scott Fitterer has definitely got more power. So I think he certainly got more power last offseason than he did the offseason before that. You know, essentially, yeah. the more Matt Rule messed up, the more power Scott Fitterer got. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think he's probably got you know, I think it is fair to judge him on this year's draft and last year's draft. Um, and, and so I think by next offseason, you should have a fairly good idea of Scott Fitter as a GM. But to this point, if you were trying to judge him right now, you're going, well, players who I know he definitely wanted and were kind of part of his wheelhouse is Ikemekwanu. Yeah. And, and, and that's really it. Because if you look at last year's draft, well, Matt Corral didn't play. Almost none right. of the other rookies played at all. The only rookie who played extensively was Iki Aguano. Right. And so your, your only real ability to judge fitter of the drafting GM is, is one pick. And, and yeah. whether or not he got that right or wrong, I think the evidence so far suggests he got it right. But you know, yeah. anyone can get one pick right and anyone can get one pick wrong. Especially a first round pick, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it's just the, the, the random dumb... You know, in the same way that the Panthers could draft someone for... You know, I'm not saying this will happen. I hope it doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. But the Panthers could draft someone first overall who goes out in their first career game, blows out their ACL, and never plays again. Right. You know, and, and you could have got, if that had happened to Tom Brady in his first game or Aaron Rodgers in his first game, there's nothing the team that drafts him can do about that. There is, there, you know, there is just a sheer dumb luck factor in all of these decisions. That yeah. means that you have to judge things in the macroscopic. You have to look at what people do over two or three years of multiple decisions, not just saying, well, they got that one right or that one wrong. Right. Obviously, what the Panthers do with the first overall pick is the most important decision they will make in the next year or two. You know, yeah. If you get that one right, it allows you to get a lot of other ones wrong. And if you get that one wrong, it probably won't make up. You probably can't make that up from you. Know, they could have an excellent second round pick. They could draft a really good tight end in the second round this year. Yeah. But if they bust on the quarterback with the first overall pick, it probably doesn't save Scott Victor at his job. How good a tight end he got in the second round? You know, yeah. it, it, in the grand scheme of things. So I, I think it, it is very hard to, to, to work out with the Panthers. Exactly. You know, it seems like you know, the Sam Darnold trade. Whose idea was it? Who signed <laughs> off on it? Like We still have no idea how much of it was Tepper, how much was Rule, how much was Fitterer. And I'm sure there are people who do know. I, I, it's not that this is yeah, something they, that no. only those three of them know. But still, right. there is no kind of like public understanding that oh yeah, that was really that was that was rules guy and fitter. You know, Baker Mayfield was 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 rules guy. The fitter went yeah, all right, we'll trade for yeah. But I mean, and, and and that's the thing that I always try to keep people reminded of when we have these discussions on Twitter or wherever you know about Scott Fitterer. Everybody wants to say that because you know it's been reported that Rule had final say on roster decisions. They want to say, like, basically, like, that can't count against Scott Fitterer, right? And and maybe it doesn't, you know, like, you know, like, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it doesn't. Maybe, like, Rue had that much power, which is still kind of crazy because he didn't have the experience to have that power. But I believe that you should get 
value from a guy that you hired to do a specific role. I think general manager is a role, you know, where you hire somebody who has um, very strong input on roster decisions, on contractual decisions, on draft picks and compensation decisions. And so whether or not it was the Sam Donald trade or the Baker Mayfield trade or whatever decisions they've made while he's been here, I think if the Sam Donald, like let's say if Rule went to them and said, hey, look, I think we can work with this guy, Sam Donald. I think we can salvage his career. I think I can wrap my arms around him. We know we just got to call Joe Douglas and get a deal done. Um, you know, what do you think about this, Scott? I think that's where if I hire Scott, if I pay him whatever I pay him to be a general manager for me, that's when I'm like, hey, look, Scott, what do you think about this? If I'm Dave Tepper, I'm like, hey, look, man, yeah. that, that is over here and he's trying to suggest that Sam Donald can be saved. I don't know. You know, I mean, I can see some things I like about him, but, you know, like, but Scott, hey, look, man, let's let's get in the room and talk about how this would look. You know, you as a personnel and a talent evaluator, like, like, does this make sense? You know, and even if it makes sense, like, should we give up those picks for, you know, like, and if Scott said yes, then to me, he's complicit, right? You know, like. Yeah, I, I, think, know, I, think, and, I, I think, I think the thing is, is that I agree that is exactly what should happen. I think the, the reality is, is that a lot of decisions are made passively. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it goes, we, you know, if Matt Rule and David Tepper come to Scott and say, we think we should trade for, for, say for Sam Darnold, you know, we really like this guy, Let, let's make it happen, are you okay with this? It takes quite a strong personality to say, no, I think this is a terrible idea, you people are idiots. Yeah. Because, you know, and I'm wrong, it, it, it's a big job, it's big responsibility, you are held to those standards, that is what you're being hired to do, to make those calls and to make and to put your foot down in those situations. Right. But but ultimately I think you can you know I, I, I don't I think Scott Fitter definitely deserves some of the blame for that. Whether he deserves ten percent, thirty percent, or eighty percent is yeah. what is what you don't know. And it's one of those things where everyone makes mistakes and deserves some blame. Right. But but there's a, a difference from kind of you know, you know, if there's any children listening, don't go along with what people say, you know, stick up for yourself, <laughs> don't just do bad things because your friends want to do them. But at the same time, there, there is a difference between going along with something and being the one to instigate it. They are not equally culpable, if that makes sense. No, you, you're right. And, and see, that's where I'm at with it, right? You know, like, I'm a military guy. You know, I believe that, you know, when things don't look right, you know, you have to, like, say something, right? And so if if Scott Fitterer, if he didn't think that the Sam Donald trade look right you know then you know regardless of who matt rule was i would like to have known that he really opposed it like i would like for that to get leaked somewhere that he has some opposition to it or he had deep concerns about it regardless of what he had to decide to go along with rule or not you know but you know it would be nice to know that oh like he really really was hesitant about doing that and i could live with that right but right now it just seems like he just went along with those type of decisions and so yeah like now here we are in year three for him, right? Yeah, so this yeah, is his yeah, third yeah, year right. as a GM, first year with Frank Wright. Now they have to make probably the most monumental decision that Carolina has made since 2011, right? Yeah. You know, so so 
he just traded away a lot of assets and a really good wide receiver to get to number one. And I kid you not, I am looking at my phone right now as we're having this discussion, and I see a tweet that says an update. The Panthers are indeed considering tra trading down from the first overall pick of the 2023 NFL draft. A third report now confirms this one from ESPN. The Athletic and the Charlotte Observer reported the same. If they Wait. have more than one QB prospect they like, they could trade down. And Vincent, this is that foolishness that I have zero time for, man, <laughs> because look, I'm just getting excited about getting – See, uh, the top two. I'm gonna name. I'm gonna name. I'm because I'm gonna do that. Yeah, right. Strat We're not gonna have this QB discussion yet. Stratton will leave us. Right. Sh shut up. Don't talk to me about Will Levis. Hey, look, <laughs> look. I want CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. And look, I believe that Bryce Young is the best QB in terms of what I saw from him last last year in college football. I think he has like all of those. Um, intangibles on the field, like everything looks slow to him. He's super cool and calm. He makes all the throws. Um, he just looks like that guy that I want running my offense, just based on what I saw. Um, he is 5'10", and he came in at 204 pounds. And I know that's a concern for people who get paid to look at NFL prospects for a living. It's a concern for me as a casual fan, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think he can play, and I think he'll do well in the NFL. But if something happens, you know, to him, you know, like physically, if he gets hurt, you know, if somebody falls on him and something breaks or anything, right, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, happens to him. If you draft that guy after trading up to get to one to get him and something happens week one, week two, week eight, whatever, you're going to look back and say, Dang, we all heard the the warnings about him being. Uh, 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 I think it's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into quarterbacks properly probably in another yeah, yeah. episode. Well, we're not like, gonna stay there today. Th there, I don't think there is any one quarterback in this draft who you can say there are no red flags about. Yeah, and it's one of those things where whoever you draft, if they don't work out, you'll look back at the red flag and go, "Ah, oh, we missed that." But you didn't miss that. They all had it. It's just a matter of which one is most important. Right. I think in, just to go back to the the. In terms of the stuff about them trading down, maybe they might. Who knows? I'm not in the building. Right. I also think there's a reasonable chance that's just smoke. That's just, you know, quite frankly, the draft is seven weeks away. There's a lot of NFL media that make a lot of money talking about the draft. But in the next seven weeks, you know. Like, I'm going to tell, tell you why I'm scared, right? Like, I, like at my core, I'm going to tell you, like, in the, in the perfect world, right? I think, you know, we've been doing this long enough now. This is our third season, I believe, right? Yeah. So you know me and you know that I value, I covet draft capital, right? Yeah. I like I like having more picks. Yeah. I'm not even the type of guy that naturally, genuinely wants to trade up almost at any point. No, right? no, I yeah. I, I had a uh so I went home. I went to went back to Carolina um for the the 49ers game this past year. And so I spent time with my family um before I drove up to Charlotte to see the game. It's me and my son. And uh but my uncle 
who I consider my OG. You know, he's a he's a big time football fan, um, my mentor. And, you know, he 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 sees how passionate I am about, you know, these Panthers now. You know what I mean? And so we was like headed up, you know, to you know, right before we took off to go to Charlotte. And he was like, you know, y'all gonna lose, right? You know, it's like I don't know what you I don't know why you're rushing for because you're gonna lose. And I was like, I know, man. Like I, I feel that in my spirit, you know, but I was like, I just want to, I want to see it. You know, I want to go up there. You know, my first Panthers experience was a 49ers Panthers game. I was like, I want to, I want to, you know, go up there, you know, and see this with my son. He was like, look, he said, I know that y'all tried a lot of different things. He was like, this, this Baker guy, he was like, he ain't it. You know, he was like, y'all just need to do this, Jay. He said, Jay, he said, you need to do whatever it takes to get you a rookie quarterback and build around that guy, right? Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I've been kind of, you know, resistant to doing that for years. I mean, not that I didn't want one. I wanted Justin Fields. Um, I think we should have drafted him. But since we didn't do that, like I know there was other scenarios that were out there, tanking or whatever, that I kind of was resistant to doing. And so I was like, you know what? I I, I hope that for us because I'm tired. I'm tired of, you know, going from Teddy to Sam to Baker now. And at that point, we were one and three, I guess, you know, based on timing. And I was like, it doesn't look good. And I want to feel what it feels like to have a Trevor Lawrence or to, to have a a Joe Burrow or somebody like that, right? Yeah. And so I was like, I said, yeah. I said, you know what? I'm with it. And at that time, it looked like it could happen organically, not via trade up. Yeah. You, know, you know, we might, we were looking like the worst team in the league. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. And so ever since that that day with my uncle, I've been waiting for an opportunity like we have now yeah. to draft the first pick in the draft. I mean, to draft the first overall pick and to get the best prospect in the draft. And in my mind, I feel like it's one of one or two guys, right? But then the thing that like scares me to death, even like even though this is smoke screen season, like my logic says, JJ, you know that this is smoke. Like you know that this isn't real. This they're not gonna do that, right? They're not. They they won't do that. They won't make all this noise on Friday just to turn around on Tuesday or sometime between now and the draft and say, you know what? We're gonna move back to number three, or we're gonna move back to number yeah, four. Whatever, like, because you know, the thing that scares me is that joke you made, and this is where it all comes down to this whole Will Levis thing, man. Like, I, I believe that they might like him for real. Like, and that, and like, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Dave Tepper and him being involved, and and all the rumors and about Dave Tepper liking Will Levis even like before the offseason started, you know. And I was like, man, why, you know, like, and let me say this about Will Evans. I'm not going to talk about him a lot today because I do think all the measurables look good. You know, like I think 6'4", 230-something, you know, he has a strong arm, I reckon. I haven't seen it on display when I watched him, but I, I know he has it, right? But we have a chance for the best prospect, not some guy that if you're sitting at nine that you're willing to take a chance on. We have a chance for the best prospect now because we've moved up to one right yeah. to trade back you know even you know like let's say it's not smoke say they're willing to move back to two or to three because like in their minds 
Will Levis can be molded. You know, he can be worked with because of his tools. The, the, like, I'll be so mad if we have this opportunity and we say, you know what? I think the fourth guy and the, you know, the difference between the fourth guy and the first guy isn't that great. And I'm going to take my chances of getting the fourth best guy. If they end up doing that, it's just, I'm done wrong. I still don't think that's, I I just don't, I don't, I don't think they will. But I think if you trade it up to one, it's because you think you need to get to one. Right. Yeah. If you, if you thought you wanted to be at three, you could trade it with Arizona instead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this right here, somebody, Somebody just texted me this, Vince, and it's just, you know, you made this point, right? We talked about this. We gave up DJ Moore to move up to one. Yeah. If you somehow move down to whatever, two, three, four, then the casualty of losing him just seems so unnecessary. You know, it's exactly. like I no, just it, got this. It, it, it just smacks of a, a completely broken process. If you and again, if they end up doing that, it would smack of a completely broken process. Because yeah, if, if you move just, down, you're, you're not moving down to two because the Texans have no reason to trade with you unless they want the guy you also want. Right. You know, three Arizona don't aren't going to go for a quarterback. I don't think. If no. anything, they're more likely to go down than to go up. Four right. is indie. So the right. issue is if you if you're down to four, then someone could always trade up with the Cardinals. And then you end up with a fourth quarterback on the board. At which point, why you know, just if 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 you know whether or not I I think that it, it was a right the good trade to move up. If you thought the top quarterback in the draft was so much better than all the others, or that you know that even if you think it was one and two are so far harder, you knew you were never going to swap the Texans, so you had to get to one because you couldn't get to two. Basically, if you think that's what you know, if that's what you thought, fine, absolutely. You know, I might not agree with you, and you might end up being right or wrong, but. There's a rationale there. There's a logic. I understand it. Right. If you trade it up to one because you just wanted a quarterback and you're going to work out now which one you want, that isn't a good process. That's a completely broken process. It is. But, and don't be wrong, a little earlier, you can do things terribly wrong in the NFL and they still work out. You you can right. make these stupidest moves that still pay off. You know, yeah. the, the Vikings traded away a first-round pick for Stefan Diggs and they'll somehow got Justin Jefferson. Yes. You know, you know they did not have some brilliant galaxy brain plan of getting Justin Jefferson because <laughs> no one gets the 22nd pick in the draft and think, I know exactly which receiver who could go 10 picks early than this we're definitely going to get. They right. just got lucky. They, they got did. really, really lucky because they could have ended yeah. up, you know, the Eagles could have taken in one pick earlier and then you're stuck with Jalen Reed or whatever. Right. You know, it, 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 it's dumb luck is the most important thing in this. Yeah. But, the, the, the best way to account for dumb luck is to have as good a process as possible and to make sure you are you have the best chance of having the best luck you have the and, most like yeah but in whatever you know comparison like you have the most chips you yeah. know to put down on the table so to hit the lucky number like i don't like buy I one lottery that. ticket buy 40 lottery tickets that's that's yeah, buy the... 40 yeah buy 40 <laughs> you know that increases your chances you know so i'm i'm of that school of thought you know i know <laughs> No, that's kind of intuitive to what we did to trade up in the draft, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But we're here now, right? But that's what you paid for. Yeah. You paid to be one. If you wanted to be three, you should have been dealing with Arizona. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, that's where I'm at with it. So to me, you know, like one thing that bothers me about being a Panthers fan is I don't think that the outside looking in looks at us like we're serious, right? You know, like 
I don't think they take us serious. And I know that this is like this is some regional, you know, um insecurity I have, right? Being, you know, from the US. I know that you're over in in the UK and you might not feel this all the way like I feel, but you know, like I'm from a small town in upstate South Carolina, very rural. And you know, everybody look at, you know, my region and the people around my region, like we just some hillbillies and you know, and you know, we not all that smart. And I know that the NFL team, you know, aren't made up of people from the Carolinas or whatever, but I feel very, very, very uh, um, protective of my people and of this team and how we perceive, because we're not like a large market team, you know, like I don't think that the NFL cares about Carolina unless we have like mega stars in Carolina, like Cam Newton was, like Luke Kuechly was, like Christian McCaffrey was, like those guys were big enough players to where outside media sources would point their cameras to Carolina just to see one of those guys play. Yeah. But right now we don't have that. Right. And, and the big NFL, you know, media, like the people on um, Park Avenue, wherever the headquarters is in New York, they don't care if Carolina has a superstar or not. And like, you know, we don't move the needle. And so, because we don't move the needle, I think, you know, like everything that we do, as a franchise, you know, from hiring a coach to how we approach, you know, the quarterback position right now via the draft. I like, I think the messaging that comes from Carolina needs to be serious, right? You yeah. know, like we are serious. Like Friday, people looked at Carolina like, oh, shoot, the Panthers are serious about finding the quarterback. And then within three hours of that being, you know, revealed, you start getting leaks from out of Charlotte saying, oh, but they're willing to trade back. You know, they're see, willing see, to trade Okay, this, this, I, we probably should talk about free agency before too long. But I think <laughs> I, I, I do wonder whether a bit of it is they realise that by leaking this, they stay relevant. You know, if, if you want... You know, if you want eyes to be on Carolina, Carolina has to be doing... And don't wrong, having the first pick um, should have that... You know, gives you an attention anyway. But all the... Right. You know, well, are they going to move down? Are they going to do this? They're going to do that. You know, it 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 keeps them in the conversation. Whereas if everyone goes like, oh yeah, they're drafting CJ Stroud, or oh yeah, they're dra- drafting Bryce. You know, the Jags really didn't get any play out of drafting Trevor Lawrence because within about you know by this time in twenty twenty one, everyone was like, oh yeah, they're drafting Trevor Lawrence. And, Everybody and so, knew. It. Yeah, and, and the Jets were like, oh, everyone's drafting Justin Fields. Everybody uh, knew. And, Everybody and so, knew, and, and, and so they didn't end up in the news cycle that much. It was more, you know, it was more of what on earth are the 49ers going to do. The three? draft that, that, started it, in San Francisco, yeah, and, and that, and therefore San Francisco was on every, you know, Sports Center, NFL Network stuff. And by the Panthers doing this bullshit, um, right? You know, say they, it like they, say it what it is. That, that, that you, it's still, you know, it's still the conversation of oh, are the Panthers going to trade down to three? Are they going to trade down to two? Are they going to take? You know, there is a genuine conversation of. I do think there is at least a ten percent chance they could take any of the top four quarterbacks at one. Yeah. You know, I, I I think there are different probabilities. They're not all twenty five percent, but you know, yeah. if they could take any four of them, and I would think you know, it was similar to Baker Mayfield. You know, you know, I think that there were people who knew that he was going to Cleveland, but you know, right. Rosen, Donald, Allen, Allen. Mayfield, Lamar. Yeah. You know, yeah, there, there was a genuine any conversation up, up to the night. Was like any of these five could go number yeah, one for sure. And, and whereas you know, Trevor Lawrence was going number one, Joe Joe Burrow was going number one. Yes. Um, you know, you know, you know it, it, it's there, there is genuinely more. Uh, like you know, I said before, and we'll talk about this more in other episodes. But uh, there is not a definite yes. This player is better. This player is worse. I think right. 
there are different strengths and weaknesses for all the different prospects. And there are different reasons why you draft them, and I have my preferences. But I, I think you could make a rationale why. I, I think Will Levis is the hardest one to have one. Um, but he's but they, they all have reasons why they could do. You know, Richardson. Yeah, you know, we'll get into some more detail. But basically, Richardson's tape is the worst of the four. His ceiling yes. is the highest of the four. Bryce Young. Yes. See, Bryce Young's tape is the best of the four. His ceiling is probably the lowest of the four. CJ right. Stroud, the Will Levis, somewhere in between. How you value that, and how you bring it down, and how much the concerns that you have for all of the four, because all four of them have issues on tape, and all four of them have things they do really well, and how coachable you think they are, and you know, there is a really genuine, interesting discussion to have there. You know, it doesn't need to be some bullshit about whether you're going to trade down to three, having already traded up to one. Right. With that done, should we talk about free agency <laughs> before I yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, because, because what I'm trying to refrain from doing is like, like, first of all, losing my mind, you know, and but second of all, is like pouring too much into this quarterback discussion because I know, you know, we're going to have a whole episode, you know, probably dedicated to that position. And who oh, yeah. Is, and what's, you know, what's their strengths, what's their weaknesses, who best fits what we know about Frank Wright. And and we'll be able to know a lot more after we know what's going to start happening this week with free agency. So, yeah. yes, you know, it's, it's a perfect time to transition um, to free agency. Um, you know, this conversation really started because we we're talking about someone who theoretically would be considered a free agent, but they have that that non-exclusive tag on them. That was Lamar Jackson. I think yeah. you, you know, you you explained, you know, the logic behind, you know, why people weren't going after him. Um, you know, and it was a mix of all things, to, you know. To be to be very clear, they all should have done. Everyone who yeah. had the money should have done. Including the Panthers. <laughs> including the Panthers. But there are reasons that on you know, I'm dim wrong. There probably was some collusion, whether whether explicit or implicit. Yeah. But there are also other reasons aside from the NFL being terrible. Well, I'm, um, and, and I'm I'm glad that you said that because I've seen you know like you know obviously day one and I was one of them. It definitely reeked of collusion, and but I believe that the NFL is fully capable of colluding when they decide to. So yes, I lean that way. But then I've seen a lot of media pundits over the you know over the following days come back and push really hard against the fact that it was collusion and it came with a lot of logic. And so I, I, mean, I can hear from both sides, but I'm I'm like you. I believe it's a little bit of all of it, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was, like you said, I don't know if it was like necessarily intentional, but the NFL ownership group has an agenda and their agenda is not to pay guaranteed contracts, yeah. fully guaranteed contracts to any NFL player if they can avoid it, especially a quarter the quarterback position because it warrants so much money yeah. per uh-huh. year. And, and, and it's not like collusion is some, you know, it, it is not completely paranoid to talk about collusion in the context of particularly American sports. You know, if you have right. like a, fra- a franchise based model for, for professional sport, yeah, it, it's happened before and it will yes. happen again. So right. it's not just complete paranoid, you know, conspiracy theory to go, you know, collusion could, has, and probably will again happen in, in North Right. North. And so that's why I say I'm glad that, you know, little podcast like ours you you know not being part of the nfl media at large you know you're willing to say that yeah it's some of that because i think the people that we listen to each and every day you know nfl pundits you know hired by the nfl network or espn reporting on the nfl i think 
they know they can't go on the air and say, oh, this is definitely collusion because the people who employ them, they don't want them saying that because the yeah. NFL, you know, the people buying the NFL want uh, uh, those people reporting on the NFL. And, and, and even if you ignore it, that kind of level of kind of conspiracy, ultimately, it's good for people who cover the NFL, for people to buy into the excitement of the NFL. And yeah. collu collusion is unlikely to increase people's interest in the NFL. <laughs> right. So, you know, if, if you're, oh, yeah, there's collusion, by the way, you know, it will... It, it, it's only going to turn fans off. It's in their interest to make it seem like everything is possible, and to to you know, you know this is a, a you know a, a battle of you know the, the best team and the best run franchise wins. You know yeah. that, that it, it it doesn't serve anyone's purpose to make it seem like the NFL is uncompetitive. Yeah, to to highlight that you know yeah. so so yeah I mean but but to that point you know moving on to free agency. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, like the state of the Panthers roster, our readiness to win. Um, we have did some restructure. You know, we've done some restructures over the past few days, you know, to create some cap space. You know, yeah. number yeah. one, to get out of the red and into the black. But, you know, now we're a little bit deeper into the black. Um, you know, before we start talking about the, you know, the the guys that we're looking at, you know, even, you know, the current free agents or, you know, on our own team and the ones that we're looking at bringing in or positions that we're looking at bringing in, um, you know, the moves that we made, the restructures that we made. Um, I want to highlight, you know, the fact that, and honestly, this one surprised me. Um, I thought all the writing was on the wall, you know, to release Shaq Thompson uh, to save that cap space. Um, a little birdie, hit me up and, you know, and, and told me like, this was probably the end for Shaq. And, and then last night, I think, I think a lot of people were surprised to, to learn that they found a way. It's good for Shaq. I think it, it's it, good. It, for it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's good for everybody. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it ends up happening because, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And, right. and ultimately sometimes not everybody is willing to admit that it's good for everybody, right. but it is good for everybody. You know, yes. The Panthers would be a worse team without Shaq Thompson. Right. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where he probably was not going to be able to recount the amount of money he'd lose from being, it's not that, you know, if, if he was earning $7 million a year and they cut him, he would go out and get a contract that's worth more than that. So in which case he has no interest. He has no, there's nothing for him to renegotiate. You know, right. It, it is, it is in his interest to renegotiate because the, you know, he is worth more to the Panthers than he is worth to everybody, anybody else. And he probably, you know, it, it, both sides have won from this. Given yeah. that they, you know, I, I think you know, cutting Damian Wilson makes absolute sense, you know. Um, but without that, the, that linebacker room is very thin, like very, oh, very is. thin. And it so if, if, if they had cut Shaq, you're then in a position where, yeah, you have more cap space, but now you are desperately looking for a new linebacker. And yeah, I think, and, I, and I think, and I think, I want to start, I want to start this section, you know, with um, Shaq because he isn't a free agent. Right. You know, he wasn't a free agent signing, you know, but they did, you know, basically restructure his contract. I think, you know, it would have ended his contract would have ended this year, I believe. And now he has two years. And yeah, I'm, not, I'm still it's, it's one of the, the details will come out in the coming weeks. I'm still not sure whether it's two years on top of what he had or two years from now. Me so either. Th that, that will that will need yeah, clarification we're, we're, over time. Yeah, we iron that out when when we know more. But uh, and I just went, you know, to see if they had any updates in real time. And it's still showing 2023 um, and so uh but nevertheless i mean i think shack is important for this reason i think late in the season we saw that the defense start rallying 
um, together. And um, and uh, and uh, overall, they played okay, you know, for for much of the season. But definitely, you know, they were fired up, you know, when you know Wilts took over, and um, and I think he, I think Wilts allowed for the linebackers to play more free, and I think Shaq, you know, really um, thrived, you know, in that role, um, and but more so than his play on the field, I think it's more about his 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 status with the young defensive players. <laughs> I think you know not even I, not even defense. I think he is the clear leader in the roster the lead. right now. I mean, right. there are other there are other players who have leadership roles, and you know, yeah, on offense and all kinds of stuff. I think Shaq Thompson is the clear leader in the locker room. No, I, I, I believe so too. I mean, I remember a, a point in camp last year where, when the guys took off and left Charlotte and headed to to Spartanburg, right, and you know Baker had just got there, you know, and and. Baker rolled with Shaq, you know, so you have a guy who you brought in, you know, honestly, to be your starting quarterback and you paired him with Shaq Thompson, a guy who he didn't know prior to, you know, to arriving. And I think they put them in the, in the same vehicle to make that trip for a reason. Like, look, you're the leader of the offense, you're the quarterback. So you're the de facto captain, but this is the leader that's already in place. If you want to learn how to lead these guys, you need to go through Shaq. Right. Yeah, and and you need you. I mean, obviously, Shaq Thompson is not from the Carolinas. Um, no. In the same way that Thomas Davis was not for the Carolinas, uh, and various other leaders they've had over time have not been from the Carolinas. Right. But you need players who are bought into the idea of the team beyond purely a club. You know, you, I think this is that the building a, a a genuine culture is is really important in sports. Right. You know, you know, and often t- people talk about culture, and a lot of it is bullshit, and it, it you know it's nonsense, yeah. and it's oh no, we've got a great culture. No, no team is ever going to come out and say oh, the culture is rubbish. You know, right. it, it's just a bloke, bun- bunch of blokes turning up to do a job they're paid to do. No one is ever going to come out and say that. But right. I think you you want players who are bought into the franchise and bought into the to the idea of what the team can be. You know, yeah. you know, who, you know and, and and quite frankly, the way you get that is by having players around for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Shaq Thompson is one of the longest serving players. Is he the longest serving after JJ Anson? I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, you know, he is one of the few. Pl- you know, he is really the only player apart from JJ who is left from that era when they were legitimately good. And, yeah. and he is. You know, I think Shaq Thompson's best season was lot not this last season, but the season before that, twenty twenty one. I think that was his best year. Right. I think in. I think you want to pair him with a more genuine inside inside linebacker. Um, yeah. And that might be Brandon Smith. It might be someone they sign in free agency. It's probably not a great year to try and get it in the draft, but you know they, they could do. I, I wouldn't go and draft a linebacker high personally, but we'll get to that later. But yeah, we'll get to that. But you know whether it's Brandon Smith or a free, you, know, you can bring in a free agent to come and compete to do that. There, you know. Man, there there are a ton of inside linebackers available this year. A ton. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, and I I think and I think this is the thing. Uh, yeah. And I think they need to do really well to make sure they get good value and don't don't just throw a load of money at somebody. You know, at a name. Know, yeah, because I yeah. think you know I, 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 we can get some names of players in a bit, but I think something that you, you know is smart. You know, when positions are deep in free agency, it's about getting the best value, not the best player. I got Be, you. Because yeah, what, I mean, ten, what tends to happen in free agency is the guy who is the top of any position board gets too much money thrown. Yes. Yeah. And if you can get a player who's ninety percent as good that you get for sixty percent the price, 
that's that's a good approach to free agency because free agency is generally not great value. So let me ask you about, you know, because I, I agree, you know, with the way you just broke that down and that's often what happens. But based on that logic, you know, when that when that free agency window opens, when you know, whenever we can first go out there and sign people to new deals, you know, you're going to start hearing rumors and leaks the day before. Yeah. How long do you wait to pounce on the guy that you want? Even if he's like not the top name, you know, you let that guy get picked. You know, but how long do you wait after that? Do you let it? You I know, think because, it depends. Yeah. I think, you know, like, I mean, sorry, guys, let's, let's start talking through some names, be specific and kind of cut, right. start trying to flesh it out a bit. Yeah, there are players who I think would make sense for the Panthers that are not necessarily like guys who are going to be paid huge amounts of money, but where right. there aren't tons of options at that position and you kind of need to make a move proactively. Like, you know, I think particularly at tight end and at three tech, the Panthers need to do something and receiver need to do something at all three of those positions. Okay. You know, they just they simply do not have enough three techs and receivers right now. They, okay. they, they need players. And so whoever it is you're going to go after, I think you have to make sure you have somebody in place early because I think you could sign multiple players at both of those positions. So what you can't end up doing is getting two days in and you have nobody still. And because then yeah. you need, to, you know, we need two guys, you know, share, oh, you know, you, you end up, you can get panicked. Whereas if you sign one guy on day one, you can then be a bit more patient trying to find another. And maybe you end guy. up, because maybe the first guy ends up being the starter and the second guy ends up being the backup. Or maybe the first guy ends up being, you know, if you sign a, a three tech, you know, you could end up with that guy starting alongside Ita Gross Matos and a third guy being the primary backup. Or you could yeah. end up with, that guy starting alongside the next guy and Ita Gross Matos being the primary back. You, you can, you can right. have them in whatever combination it matters. So if you get someone who is at least solid at both of those positions, it then allows you to either try and upgrade that or find a backup to that depending on how the market goes. So let, let me, I mean, if you're ready to do this, I'm, yeah. as you were talking, my head was spinning about, for me, some priority position groups. And you know maybe you can give me some names of guys who you would like to see in what we believe Frank Wright and Thomas Brown's offense to look like, right? You know, or Ejira Everell's defense to look like, yeah. right? You know, because right now, you know, we've seen these guys and what they've done at other teams, but we don't know how they're going to come together and what they're going to do together specifically yeah. um, because we just haven't seen it yet. So let's explore a little bit, you know. So for me, and I know this may not be the top priority move, but since – we are moving up in the draft to draft a young quarterback, presumably, then I think a quarterback's best friend is a a, a good pass catching tight end. Yep. Right. And so in your mind, yep. through free agency, not focusing on the draft, yeah, yeah, just no, through just free just agency. Free. Yeah. If you could land one of the tight ends this year, like who would you target and why? Jordan Akins, uh, from the Texans. Because I wasn't thinking, thinking about him. <laughs> because he's quite good and probably not super expensive. I mean, this is a so I know this is not about the draft, but this is a really good tight end class. You know, the Panthers okay. would do well to get at least one tight end in this class. It's you know, particularly that third pick they've got. Even if they trade down on that third pick, there's a pretty good chance you can get a decent tight end with that third pick. However, what you need to do is not be in a position where you're chucking that rookie in straight away. Because you know you, you you want someone who could take off some of the load, and I think someone like Jordan Akins is someone who can either 
go and be a number one tight end and be a solid starting tight end or can be a really good complimentary number two tight end and it not be a huge deal. You know, if you sign him to say a two-year, $6 million contract, which is roughly what SpotTrack currently project for him, you know, that's, that's excellent value for a number one tight end, but that's perfectly good value for a number two tight end. So if, yeah. you, if, you, if you sign him and then you go and draft a tight end in the third round, if that guy is ready to play week one, then you've great, you've got two quality tight ends. If he's not, you've still got a solid tight end. I also think, okay, the other thing is, is I think there are lots of big names in this tight end class, and I do not think they're necessarily loads of good players. I think you could easily, you know, I do, you know Mike Gasicki is not actually that good of a player. He is a much bigger name than he is a, a good player. He's not an awful player, but right. he's, you know, in, if you look at the actual underlying numbers, he's maybe a borderline number one tight end. You know, he's, he's never been a good blocker. And whilst yeah. he's a quite a good down, you know, like vertical threat as a tight end, he's under you know, he's never actually been that efficient. I know he's had a big drop off this year, but even if you go back and look at previous years, he had one year where he was like a top 25 tight end. Yeah. I, and actually, that. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm someone who used to be very high on Mike Gusecki. I've cooled on him. Um, after this past season, I know a lot of people say that, you know, the offense down in Miami that Mike McDaniel was running didn't feature the tight end a lot. But I think it would have featured the tight end more if if he was good. <laughs> more the things he wanted him to do, right? Yeah, and, 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 so not, and, and not just that, but if, if he was just better at it. I mean, you yeah. if, if you look at, like, the underlying – so I, I did a sort of a tweet written this a while ago, but kind of like if you look at yards per target, catch percentage and yards per reception – which are like the most basic efficiency numbers for a, for a receiver or a tight end. You know, right. how, how much, how much, how many yards you get every time you're throwing the ball, how many yards you get every time you catch the ball and how often do you catch the ball when it's thrown to you? Yeah. You know, Gusecki has one season where he's kind of in the top 30. Yeah. You know, he has, he has, a, he has, you know, he's quite good in terms of yards per reception. He is generally a deeper threat for a tight end. Right. But, but he's just, he's never been a particularly efficient option, you know, apart from one year. He has he has years because he had one year before that we had about seven hundred or something yards, but he yeah. just got thrown the ball a lot. It's like yeah. it's like going back and looking at Lavishka Chenault's twenty twenty one season in Jacksonville, where you yeah, go, Jacksonville. man, yeah. man, he had six hundred and, and twenty <laughs> yards. That's pretty good. But yeah. yeah, but he threw him the ball a hundred times. He had like <laughs> one. He had one of the least efficient hundred target seasons in the last ten years. You know, yeah. If, if you're if you're a decent player on a good off on a bad offense particularly if you're a receiver or a tight end, you're just going to get thrown the ball a lot. And even yeah. if you're not very efficient with it, you will put up big raw numbers. And Yeah, you have stats. And that's all people really look at. They, they're not yeah. going to look at the deep diving stuff. They're going to look at, okay, what's your raw numbers? Oh, yeah, 700 yards and six touchdowns. You're a good tight end. Yeah. And, and he had and I, I, I fell into that trap too. You know, like and, I and thought it, that he was decent. His 2021 season was, no, was it 2021? He had one season, either 2020, uh, 20, sorry, 2020, he was legitimately quite good. You know, yeah. he, he had about 750 yards and he did it relatively efficiently. You know? yeah. And the thing is then 2021, he had similar raw numbers, but did it much less efficiently. And this year had the same efficiency issues as the year beforehand, just they didn't use them as much because they had other options. Yeah. Whereas someone like Jordan, Jordan Akins has never been some elite tight end. But he has consistently caught four or five hundred yards at like he has consistently been a top twenty-five, top twenty tight end in the NFL in terms of efficiency, and has done so whilst having four or five hundred yards each year. 
And while that might not be franchise tight end numbers, it's a damn sight better than what they've had. You know, Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble's receiving numbers over the last couple of years are rubbish, like absolutely awful. (laughs) You know, know, really, really poor numbers. You you do not need to be amazing to be an awful lot better. And someone like Jordan Aikens, who is really good at, you know, Jordan Aikens is is a a better blocker than Gusecki, not by tons, but he is. And what he's really, really good at is getting four or five yards downfield creating a yard or two of separation, catching the ball, and getting two or three yards after contact, and just consistently look- getting seven, eight, nine yards. And that is, if you want a young quarterback who wants to get the ball out of his hands quickly and help him in the quick passing game, I think Jordan Aikens would be a hugely useful, solid, veteran, competent piece for a young quarterback. To yeah, I'm looking at his numbers now, and I didn't realize this, but you know, he had nearly 500 yards and five touchdowns last year, 13.4 yards of reception. And what was his yards per target? Um, His yards per target, 9.2. That's better than any year of Kaseki's career. <laughs> Kaseki's career best is 8.1. Yeah. I, it, I mean, it, it, and that's his average. His average over his career is 8.1. Yeah, which is so – Yeah, so his career average is the same as Kaseki's best season. I wouldn't have thought about him. I'm glad you – I mean, and that's why we have these discussions because I wouldn't have thought about Jordan Aikens. Obviously, you know, what I get sucked into is, like, I don't get to see other teams really play into the playoffs mm-hmm. or, like, national televised games. And so, um, you know, during the playoffs, I don't know if people pay attention to this, but normal, normally in the playoffs, like, there's always a good tight end, almost always on the, <laughs> on, a, on a playoff team, right? You know, not on every team, but – at least a decent pass catching tight end. And so um obviously Dallas is somebody who we always see on TV here, you know, and, and yeah. you know, they went in the playoffs and and so and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, man, Dalton Schultz is good. Yeah. But I think he's one of those guys you say is going to be one of the top guys. Yeah, he's probably um, gonna get I mean, he's gonna get a lot of money. I mean, I mean the, the, yeah. the issue is is that free agents, you yeah, very rarely do you get good bargain like good deals paying massive money in free agency. Yeah. Free agency is a good way the really smart teams, and I think what I'd like to see the Panthers do this year, is sign five, ten players to deals between three and eight million dollars a year. You know, just just fill out a number of spots. You know, ideally target younger players who have re-signed potential. Obviously, Aikens in this context isn't that, but in other positions, find guys on like two to three year deals, sort of three to eight million a year, who can start to flesh out and build around the pieces, and then you can. It allows you to then draft guys without having to sort of go. This guy has to start right away because you know if the Panthers don't do it you know, right now, if the Panthers don't sign anybody, your starting running back is going to be Chuba Hubbard. Your starting receivers are going to be TMJ, Shy Smith, and Lavisca Chenault. Your starting tight end is Ian Thomas. Your starting three techs are Ita Gross Matos and Derek Brown, probably with Marco McCall as a nose tackle. You've got um, Brown Smith starting at linebacker, and you. Know, there's a lot of areas where you need somebody, you know, I think linebacker, for example, I don't think you need, you want someone who can come in and compete with Brandon Smith to be the starter week one. I think a quarterback, yeah. you want someone who can come in and compete with Matt Corral and whichever rookie they draft to be the starter week one. I think, you know, I think at some positions you need someone who can just come in and play. Like, I think you need a three tech who can just turn up and be a starter day one. But, but, well, let me ask this before we before we transition away from this position group. So you mentioned Jordan Aikens, you know, doing real time research and seeing him over the years, you know, because I don't think he's ever been the featured tight end 
um, you know, in, in any offense, or if he was the starting tight end, um, he wasn't featured in their game plan. Like they went other ways. I, I've yeah. seen him, but he's, you know, he's consistently you, he, been the third or fourth option in. in yeah. yeah, he's always been the, been the starter, but but not the like one of the key pieces on offense. But he makes plays. I have seen him make big plays over the years, and so you know, we talked about him, and you know, him and. I would say think Dalton Schultz on the you know opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of name value, you know, in, in terms of yeah. you know, return of you know return of investment that you can get from a guy like Akins. Is are there anybody else that you would look at? You know, we talked about Gasecki a little bit too. So it's Schultz, Gasecki, Akins. Are there any other free agent tight ends that you would be interested in before you move on? I mean, to be clear, I would not be interested in Gasecki. Um, I just think he's someone who is going to be linked to a lot. I mean, there are, there are. I'm just going to sort of double check before I talk out of my wrong orifice. Um, if, if you look, you know, Gasecki, Dalton Schultz, Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurts, Dan Ardles, uh, you know, there, there are there are some names who could be could be decent players, you know, but... You know, well, Seth, I would say, I would Seth add Hurts yeah, I, would, I mean, if Hurst is going to be available, I didn't know if he signed something, you know, multiple year up there in Cincinnati or not, but I like the way he looked this year. Yeah, I, I think the thing is, like, Hurst, Hooper are, are players, I, I think they're just very replaceable. I, like, I yeah. think they're perfectly decent players, but I think they're not, they're not really worse than Jordan Aikens, but they're not any better, and you're probably going to end up paying twice or three much, three times them. as much per season to get them. You're paying for the name recognition, and I just don't think... I just, I, I don't think that's worth very much. Um, I mean, and I respect it. I mean, I think, you know, like beyond being QB thirsty and, you know, maybe, well, I would say that's the, that's the main position, you know, it's QB thirsty. I, you know, we want to get tight end and we, we, you know, ever since Greg Olson um, vacated the premises, you know, we, we, we need a good pass catcher oh, tight end, especially for a rookie quarterback. So, but, but, it don't it don't have to happen through free agency and and your logic around Aikens is something I can subscribe to. So I'm just gonna leave that position where yeah, it is yeah. for the sake of time yeah. and transition to um the edge and we can lump these together. Edges and three techs, two different positions, but defensive line help. Yeah, I mean I think edge edge probably is not gonna get a ton of attention. I think the Panthers I think I think probably okay. Some of this is a move towards the three-four, but I think Frankie Lugu is probably best suited to playing edge in the three-four rather than linebacker. So yeah. I think if you, if you know you've got Brian Burns, you've got Lugu, you've got Marquise Haynes, you've got Barno, you've got Gross Matos who can play the edge in the four-man front or the three-tech in the three. You know, I think they should. I think that's probably more of an area for the draft because it's not you. Know, you've got people there already, and by signing someone, you're just bringing in more competition to a room. Unless you're going to go and get. A guy, you know, you're going to get a, a, a franchise edge rusher, which I don't think they're going to do. I think they've already got mediocrity there. They don't need competence. They need someone who can be above that. But I think the draft is a better place to look for that, particularly in quite a deep edge rusher class. I think three tech they definitely need. Um, yeah. I think it depends a little bit about how much they're willing to spend. I mean, there are you know there are people who are who are definitely going to get big money, and maybe they maybe they feel they can unload some money on one of them. Well, um, let me ask you a question before you get deep into the names. I, I do have a name, but only because I need clarity about what he does in the three-four type scheme, and he just played for our new defensive coordinator, Draymond Jones. So he 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 is very so he he's more defensive tackle-ish than Bruce Matos, but a similar kind of role where 
He'd play three tech and he'd also play on the edge. Um, he, he got a lot of sack production, especially early this past season. He did. I, I, I think he is probably the upper end of the market of what the Panthers could target. I think, okay. you know, uh, I think him is probably the upper end of what they could go for. I think uh, Marcus Walker, who played for the Broncos beforehand, then went to Tennessee. He had a lot of sack production this year, which might sort of overinflate his value. But he's been a consistently fairly solid like pressure generator. Yeah. Um, I think one player who I think would be an interesting option who I would quite like is um, Jerry Tillery. Tillery. See, Tillery became available during the season last year. Yeah. And I'm a Notre Dame guy. And so Tillery, you know, obviously yeah. I'm, he's near and dear to me. But as soon as I said something about him, I believe it was like um, who was our guy? You know, brick wall blitz. Jordan Kins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the thing was him, and he was saying, "Man, this dude suck." You know, for the for the Chargers, I believe and, he is a rubbish run defender. He is a yeah. rubbish run defender. Yeah. But one thing he does do really quite well is generate pressure as a three tech, it, and it's one of those things where like he is he is legitimately like a top fifteen player in one area of the game and rubbish at the other. I think and, there is, and I think ultimately, I think moving to a three-man front would help him. I think you know he he really struggles against double teams. Yeah, really, really struggles against double teams. Um, and I think particularly both in in you know with the Chargers and also with the Raiders, where they played more of a four-man front. You know, he could only play over the you know if he played in the A gap, he was just getting double teamed. Right. Um, and, and if he played outside the three tech, he really struggled. To, to avoid getting widened. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, he is not a, a, a low-risk move. Like, he is very much a boom-bust player. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I think it, it, you know, if you sign him, you probably need to sign you know, another three-tech as well, but they're probably going to have to do that anyway. So you probably want a more secure option as the other guy. Um, but I, I think... I can see that. Maybe you can use Tillery as, like, a, like a, a pass-down... Yeah, or, or 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 you you sign him knowing that there's a chance you move on from him in a year's time. Yeah, and 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 again, this comes back to timelines. Like if the Panthers want to win right now, probably don't sign Jerry Tillery. Right. If 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 you want to take a chance on someone who has shown they can be very good in some regards and not in others, and you think you can develop him to make him at least competent in the bit that he's not great at, and and take advantage of the thing that he is good at. Yeah. Then, then I think that's worth the risk. And ultimately, you know, he had back-to-back -back 20 pressure seasons, 2020-21 and 21-22. Yeah. That's really valuable. There are not many defense, interior defensive linemen who had back-to-back -back 20 pressure seasons in their career. Right. You know, he was really good for two years in one regard. And ultimately, in the former front that we using in San, you know, now Los Angeles, but formerly San Diego, you know, he was just too bad of a run defender. You couldn't put him on the field in early downs, and so he was a liability. But if he's playing yeah. outside the guard and he's rushing one on one, and yeah, okay, they can double team him with a tackle, but then you have Brian Burns or you have Frankie Louvu pushing the edges in. You know, I think that would be worth the risk. I think there are lower risk options, and I think you probably want to do both at once. Okay. Um, but but you know, they should take some chances this offseason free agency. I, I, I believe. I mean, it's crazy because I'm I'm like you. They should take chances, but because we don't have a lot of cap space this year, you know, like the low cost, you know, multiple darts type offseason yeah. approach. You know, get guys who 
who have friends starting experience, you know, and and or has started and maybe didn't pan out well, but you think they can play well within your system. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tillery, I'm I'm partial to him, you know, but I'm glad you brought him up. I was looking at Draymond Jones just because of yeah. um, Andrew, the fact Andrew. he was in Everett's um, defense. I think he gets a lot more money is the thing. I think you can probably get Jerry Tillery for maybe two years, four or five million dollars kind of thing. You know, yeah. I think he is he is he is burnt through some of his lives, shall we say, as an NFL player. I think Draymond yeah. Jones is gonna get ten million a year. He's of. gonna get ten million. Yeah, I I think he'll get ten million plus. And it, I don't it, know if we got that money to throw around at that position. Okay, so I mean, yeah, I think if you do, he is then your big move in free agency for the offseason. And, and I don't know if that's what they want to be their banner free agent pick. Yeah. You know, but Okay, so let's talk about a couple more guys, right? So you, you don't think they're going to make many moves at edge. You know, I did see a few edges become available, um, namely Leonard Floyd, um, because he's another guy that has familiarity with this defensive scheme. That, that they could do. Um, I think it probably depends a bit on how they view Frankie Louvu. If yeah. they think Louvu is an inside linebacker, then, yeah, you probably go after an edge. Yeah. Personally, my instinct is that they view him, that he's probably better as an edge in this scheme. Yeah. Um, I think he's probably someone who plays like 60% of the snaps. But right. but if you look at what Evero did in terms of like third down stuff, he has a lot of, you know, multiple stand-up rushes. You know, put, he used to put like Draymond Jones off and he put Draymond Jones over the left tackle. And yeah. then he just had like six, like maybe like Burns, Shaq, Brandon Smith, Luvu, Barno, Haynes, just standing up on the line. And like three of them are coming, three of them are dropping. You know, right trying to create chaos kind of stuff yeah i think i think louver will be great in those situations i think he'll be a, he'll be a, a, a good edge defender like against the run in in the sort of the base three four yeah I, I don't think he's it's one of those things where he's he's one of those things where he's really he's he's good at lots of stuff he's not great at very much yeah, yeah. He, he's for for a three four edge he's a really good run defender not an amazing pass rusher for a four three inside linebacker He's pretty good run defender, not great in coverage. You know, he it, he doesn't have this obvious, you know, Brian Burns should absolutely eat in a 3-4 defense. He you should. Know, he you should. Know, absolutely, you know, and Derek Brown, this suits him down to the ground. He should be amazing in this new defense. Is it, I mean, so Derek Brown. He plays a nose, I reckon. He's he's just pure nose now, right? I mean, yeah, I mean he can play the three at times, but yeah. but but the you know, if you look at Denver, they didn't employ some, you know, three hundred and sixty pound behemoth to play the nose. Right. They tended to prefer like three twenty, three thirty guys who are a bit more mobile, can shift a bit around. Yeah, they do play yeah. some they play some four man front as well. So I think Derek Brown will play some one tech, some zero tech. But I think okay. he, this will suit him down to the ground. And I think he'll suit Ryan Burns as well. Um Luvu probably a bit less much. Yeah. Um, but I think right, edge, so, edge, I mean, edge is a better draft, a better area for the draft, I think, particularly given how deep this year there's edge class. And, and, and I'm, I mean, obviously a guy that I'm partial to, I like Ben Ness. And I don't know if he's an edge. He more be, he might be more of like a, what, three? three yeah, three I mean, he can probably play a bit of both. I think, I, 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 again, it depends about clarity. I think he is a, a project. Um, yeah. I think there are players who I would rather have who are probably going to go in similar points to the draft. But we, we will... We can talk about that some other episode. Well, another guy I'm partial to, and we're not going to talk about it, but Foskey. You know, keep your eye on Foskey. I want you to do some some studying on Foskey. Yeah. I, I again, I won't go into YouTube detail now, but I I really like um, Anadike Uzoma from Kansas oh. State. Yeah, yeah, he is he is good. Yeah, okay, he is he is, right, he we, is very we'll, good. We'll save it. All right, so we talked about edges. You know, we don't think we're really going to target edges if if they envision Luvu being that. 
Um, so another position um, in free agency that we can look at inside backer. We brought Shaq back. You know, we know he's going to be here, but we don't know who his partner in crime is going to be beside him as inside backer in a three, four scheme. Um, Brandon Smith is on the roster already. He projects yeah. to be a good backer, has all the measurables. Um, but, you know, I think Shaq needs somebody that can allow him to play more free without yeah. as much responsibility. Um, of the free agent linebacker candidates, who would you think would fit, you know, based on this approach that we're taking? So I think there's a couple of ways they can go. And it does depend a bit. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard when a new coaching staff comes in, but it depends what they think of Brandon Smith. If they think Brandon Smith is actually, he's just not, he's not going to be a starter. He's a special teams guy, maybe a third linebacker. We need to go and find a new starter. Then I think, you know, Bobby Okarike has a long history with Frank Wright. I think he's a good, you know, good run defender. Maybe not I love, the most. I love Okarike. Yeah. And, you know, there are some others. I mean, I think, you know, um, Leighton Van Der Esch, I think, is a free agent as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he's another, you know, they like athletes. He's a solid, you know, run defending, um, you know, uh, inside linebacker. Yeah, there, there, are, there are a few different um, options they can take. Um, I personally would prefer them to maybe go similar to with, with sort of Jordan Akins, where you take a player who maybe isn't necessarily the long-term answer at the position, but someone who could compete with Brandon Smith. And if isn't going to sign the kind of contract where he has to be the starter, but offers really useful, versatile depth if, if, if he doesn't end up starting, but could also be a really useful player. Yeah. And that's uh, Caden Ellis, who played for the Saints last year, who oh. was basically a special team for the first three years of his career. And then last year kind of saw more actual linebacker roles. Uh, and... Yeah. And he he actually did some really nice things. Um, uh, did, 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 can I find his stats? Maybe Caden Ellis. Did, did, did. Because I know that I mean, their their middle list: Mario Davis and um, my guy out of Ohio State. Is it? Yeah. So. Warner? So Ellis can sort of, he, he's a bit like Frankie Louvu, but he's more of a linebacker and less of an edge rusher. So he can move around a bit, but he played just over half of their defensive snaps last year, has been a special teams, you know, sort of regular throughout his career. Had 78 tackles, seven tackles for loss, 10 QB hits, seven sacks, and two pass defended last year. Mm. You know, that, and that's, you know, it, it, it's not kind of, you know, this is a future Hall of Famer, great player, but it's kind of, you know, it's someone who has been a backup for their first three years of their season, got more of a starting role on their fourth year. You know, he's really bendy, really quick in his gaps, very good downhill, not some, you know, match-up man coverage linebacker, but is a, a really good shoot gaps, hit people, blitz through, either blitz around the edge, blitz through the middle, um, can match up a bit in coverage, can run pretty well, good athlete. Um you know, I, I probably can be got for five or six million a year. And I think at that value, if you end up with just Frankie Louvu 2.0, as someone yeah. who is versatile, but doesn't you know, maybe not be a starter, but is kind of like a, a number three edge rusher and the number three linebacker and kind of do a bit of both, then that's pretty good value. And actually, yeah. you know, if he ends up, it, it, you know, I think him versus Brandon Smith gives you an option to get you. He doesn't close the door on Brandon Smith. It still gives you a chance to develop a young player, but also is someone who can do a lot of versatile things. Really excite, really, really good blitzer. Um, pretty good in coverage. Good run defender. Uh, you know, uh, if if it, 
like a bit like with again, the Panthers do not have the kind of cap space to throw loads of money at big name superstar free agents. Yeah, you know, they, they can't build that. What they can do is add five, six, seven encouraging players. Assume that not all of them are going to work, but if three or four of them work out, that's great. And then next off season, you know, you can either cut the ones who don't work, or you 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 draft players behind them this year who can maybe replace them. And and you kind of you you through a combination of draft and free agency, you you, you get multiple shots in the mid range of a position. You know, the Panthers don't have. The Panthers have now got pick 39, but they're nothing until like pick 93. Yeah. So, so you know, they're not going to get a chance to get multiple premier players. They're going right. to end up back drafting players either who have limited ceilings or who are a bit more of a risk. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they're probably going to have the same issue in free agency. But if you can balance that upside, now, you know, they've got a young player in Brandon Smith who could become something, but you don't really know what you have. If you have a player who is at least solid, you know, if he ends up, being solid and Brandon Smith doesn't work out, then you have a decent starting linebacker partnership, but maybe it's not amazing. And if yeah. Brandon Smith does work out, then you have a really good linebacker partnership with a really valuable player who gives you high quality depth. And, so, and, and, and another thing, you know, that we haven't been able to enjoy for a long time and you have depth. Yeah. Either way you have depth, you know, and so a lot of the guys that you mentioned in, you know, like you said, if the guy that we have currently like a Brandon Smith, you know, he takes off and now he's the starter. This guy that you went out and got that you didn't pay a lot for could be great depth for that guy. Yeah. You know? And the worst case, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll probably go through some of the other additions a bit quicker, but I think that's kind of what you, what you have to look for in the Panthers is players, but you, they do have some players they just need, to, they need a three tech, they need a receiver, they, they need a running back. You know, you can't yeah. afford to sort of, you know, half-ass those positions. Well, let uh, me let me let me let me do this real quick. I'm gonna go through some names, and you tell me if any of these guys would be guys that you'd be interested in. And 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 I'm sorry, you know, I have an expensive eye, you know. So if you just say, "Hey, look, you know, they're too expensive, and that's why I wouldn't go after them," then that's fine with me. Yeah. But obviously, I I like bright, shiny things, and so um, for for the linebacker market, looking for a partner for for Shaq, um, Tremaine Edmonds is available. Bobby Wagner, Levante wow. Dave. Wouldn't go uh, after Wagner or David. They're just they're their age again. It's it's not that they're not good players, but if you're building around a rookie quarterback, signing linebackers right at the end of their career is probably not. So you want you want young guys to grow with them. So okay, yeah, let me yeah. switch gears then. Sure. Jermaine Pratt, Drew Tranquil, um, Aziz Al Shayer, um, Devin Bush, Kaiser White. Any of I mean, those guys interest you? I don't think any of them are going to get huge amounts of money. And so, I mean, I, I can't claim that I've gone hugely in depth on the tape of any of them. I think what you, what you can do is if you like some, you know, if, if it's the same with Keaton Ellis or any of, you know, Jerry Tillery, any of these guys, if you think there's someone who has not been established as a starter yet, who you think has promise, I think that's worth pursuing. I think that's definitely the mark. You know, someone like Devin Bush didn't really work out in the Steelers. If I'm honest, I don't think he's that good. But you know, yeah. Van, Van, Van der Esch is maybe another example. I think he's still. I don't think he's been resigned yet. But you know, um, you know, is he going to be you know, the, the, you know, the next Luke Kuechly? No. Could no. he be a solid linebacker for decent money? Probably yes. And so yeah. it, it, it's it's. A, I think that's a position where you can afford to be patient. Like we were talking about earlier about how how much urgency do you feel? I think something like linebacker is something where it's more about making sure. And unless you're sold, you know, you know 
to forget Brandon Smith, we want our guy. We want to go and get the guy. You want Tr- 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 Tremaine Edwards. Yeah, yeah, or, 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 or um, maybe Okarike. Okarike is yeah. not quite as high value, but then you're, you, that is the guy we want. We're going to go and get him. Yeah. If you're not taking that approach, then you, you know, then be a bit more patient and then go, okay, particularly at linebacker, there is some depth this year. We can afford to be patient. We, yeah. we, you, know, you will put feelers out and see what the market is for different guys, but ultimately... The gap between Van der Esch and Bush and and Ellis, it, I'm not saying this is the case, but if for them, it's you know one A one B one C. You yeah. wait and see what the market is, and you take the guy who is who you think is at the right price. I think the issue at tight end is there just isn't that much depth, and I think you yeah. you you have to prioritize the players who you want. And I think this, you know receiver is going to be really difficult for the Panthers in free agency this year because there are not number one receivers in the oh, draft no. and there are not number one receivers in free agency. So you're going to have to accept you're not going to have a number one this year or that, you know, if Terrace Martin Jr. works out great, wonderful, but we need to almost be working assumption that, that he does. And if not, we'll fix it next off season and we'll sign decent. All receivers. Right, so we're going to get to wide receivers, but before we leave the defense, I have a couple of questions for you. I just want to yeah. get your take on them. All right. And every defense I've seen is your ever will be part of. Yeah. He's had a safety with range. Yeah. Right? And I don't know if we consider Xavier Woods as that type of guy. He can do the job okay, but you, as we saw this year, he just, you know, he, he leaves a lot of interceptions on the field. Yeah. And so I don't know if we can we would consider Jeremy Chen as that type of guy. I don't think that suits his skill set either. Really. That's not, that doesn't suit his skill set. So in my mind, I'm thinking, like, it would be nice to have a, a rangy safety to play in this defense. Um, of the free agent safeties available, and they don't have to be the top names, and you haven't gone with a really top name yet. Like, is there anybody who you think could fit that role for us that's available? I I quite like Sean Gibson. Gibson, sorry. Oh, um, from San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. older guy. I think I think the issue is having restructured um, Xavier Woods' contract. It limits you a bit. I mean, they could have, you yeah. know, they could have just straight up cut him if they didn't want him. Which I thought they would have. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I thought it was. I, I, it's they were either going to cut him or restructure him. They weren't. Right. It's a bit like Shaq Thompson. Either they were going to do something or they were going to cut him. They weren't just going to let him sit with his cap number. Um, yeah. And so I think by restructuring him, if I'm honest, I don't think it's an. Ama- I think there's some interesting safety prospects in the draft, but I don't think it's some amazing safety class. It's not that good of a, you know. Maybe if the Panthers find a pot of gold, they can go and get some big name in free agency at safety. But it, ultimately, they cannot throw big money at all these positions. They, met, you know, of all the things we talk about, maybe they pick one position where they're like, okay, no, we are going to, we are really going to go and fix this. We are going to throw all of our money at this position, and we are going to find our guy. But they can maybe do that at one position with the cap space they have. They cannot do it all over the board. And so, someone like Tashawn Gibson, I think, probably gives you a year. You know. He competes with Xavier Wood in camp and maybe gives you a chance to go and find your long-term answer next year. Um, I think the same thing is true at nose tackle. Maybe they, you know, I think Derek Brown is the guy, but in terms of backing him up, you know, I think Bravion Roy and Michael McCall have both been good value given that it's a UDFA and a six-round pick. But if you if you want to have a, a bit more of an upgrade at nose tackle. I don't think this is a year to go and try and find your long-term solution. It's more about giving you someone who can compete in camp, doesn't cost too much, and then you know, it's something you deal with next year. You, you, I think this is the, again, it comes back to timeline. If you're trying to compete this year, 
you have to find everything, you have to find an answer for everything all at once. I think if you accept it's about two or three years time, you can focus on finding answers to half of your problems yeah. and accepting that you're just trying to cover over the rest of the cracks for a year. You know, you, you, right. You're just trying to stop having to stick some rookie in who's just going to ruin his career because he's not ready. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And and I think I have to, I have to kind of bring myself back, bring myself back a bit too, you know, because, you know, like a lot of other fans, you know, I alluded to, we going on that sits and sits run, you get excited, you know, about what's to come, you know, if you, you know, in, the, in that scenario of you, the brought Steve Wilkes back, a lot of people would have been thinking, okay, let's continue to build on that momentum and, um, and, you know, you go out and get you a quarterback and you get better because that was your weak spot and whatever, you know. And so you're thinking like, oh, next year playoffs is a down year in the division. Um, you have a, you know, a good coach, you know, good roster. You know, now we know that, you know, it's, it's it's a new staff. You know, it's Frank Wright, Jim Caldwell, QB developers, um, good young defensive, you know, coordinators on both sides, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and, and um, Ivero and Brown. And it's like, okay, we got the staff, you know, we get a little hype, you know, going on in Carolina. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I think when you step back from it a little bit, you see that, look, this is a, still a two-year job, you know, at the very oh, least. Yeah. Yeah. It's still I a two-year job. And even, even, even if you win a division this year, it'll be more to do with the division being down than you having the roster that's ready to win right yeah. now. I think the best case scenario for the Panthers is something like the tw- I mean, obviously quarterback situation being different, but something like 2014, where yeah. you had a young team that wasn't that good, but was in a rubbish division, snuck into the playoffs, yeah. um, you know, won a bad playoff game against an even worse team, and then got you know kicked the shit out of against a good team when they ran into one. You know, I, I think yeah. that's that that's the best case scenario where you know the team is competitive in a bad division. Whether or not they make the playoffs, who you know doesn't make that much difference macroscopically, but it is willing to play some young players and have some areas of weakness. You know, you go, you, you know, you can go. Okay, well, actually, no, we are going to start this person who is definitely not the long term answer because we don't. You know, rather than spending cap space for future, you, know, I would much rather the Panthers save five million in cap space to roll over for next year to try and sign Brian Burns or Jeremy Chin or something like that that went. Oh no, no, what we desperately need is a one-year answer of three tech. So we're gonna throw an extra five million to get you know Fletcher Cox on a one-year deal to come and fix this short-term problem. That 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 would smack of we don't know what we're doing, we're trying to do everything at once, so we're gonna end up doing it. No, I agree with you. Now, before we move from the defense, corner. I think you just have to I mean, maybe you go after a guy. There are some interesting players you could just take a chance on, but having spent as much as they have on corner. You, you know, just, you, just with... you have much bigger needs. You okay. Know, you, if you look at the if you look at the defense right now, and you go right, you're J.C. Horn, um, um, uh, Dante Jackson, C.J. Henderson, you've got Keith Taylor, and you've got um, Stan Thomas Oliver as backups. That's yeah. a solid cornerback room. It might not be a great winning playoff games cornerback room. Yeah. But you've got you've got five guys who are capable of being on an NFL roster. And all five of them, if forced to play, could play to an okay level. Do you think Everett? Do you think Evero could get more production out of uh, CJ Henderson? Who knows? I, I mean, I, it's one of these where you've played for Urban Meyer, arguably the worst NFL coach in the last decade, and Matt Rule. 
not a great NFL coach. You know, yeah. uh, and I'm not, you know, maybe CJ Henson never works out. He's certainly got the talent. Yeah. I, th- I think the frustrating thing for him is that he, he is usually in the right place. Yeah. He just needs to finish better. Yeah. It's like he freaks out at the last second. Yeah. He, like... he, he needs to get better at playing the ball at the catch yeah. point. Yeah. But he, you know, it's not that he, you know, I know he got kicked the shit of a, a bit by sort of Mike Evans late in the season. Yeah, but for yeah. most of the season, he was in good position to make plays. He he was you know he wasn't getting run away from by guys. No, he just he just kept either giving away penalties or allowing receptions at the catch point. Yeah. And so you know, would I extend it? You know, I think his fifth year option is probably not going to be extended. Um, yeah, I I honestly don't know. I wouldn't be shocked either way. I think probably not. But. You know, I, I, he is someone who you, you want to be in a position to, to you want to be a, you want to be wanting to resign him in a year's time. You know, he he has talent. I think you know they have got good defensive coaches. I think you would hope that he looks certainly like a number three corner in a year's time. Yeah, I just I mean because I hate that we have to have the discussion about cornerback when we have the number eight overall pick in twenty twenty one and the number nine overall pick in 2020 from yeah. a talent perspective, you would think that we wouldn't have to think about signing a quarterback for a good long time, but here we are. I just, I just want to, you know, to bring it up, you know, while we was talking, talking about free agents, I haven't seen a ton of um, available free agent corners out there um, who would be markedly better than. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think what you can try and do is take a, a, a throw, throw a dart. Well, I mean, uh, Jamal Dean would be better. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go and throw fifteen million dollars at somebody, you can. Yeah. But given all well, the I forget other about you... Bradbury too. Bradbury's gonna to be a free agent. Yeah, I mean again, he's gonna get loads of money and he's the wrong age. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 you know, he's what, thirty? That's crazy to think that it's been three years, but just that fast for a position like corner, it can yeah. age you out. I, mean, yeah. I, I think I think that was at least for me, that was the rationale for not signing him three years ago was you're trying to build a new young team. He's the yeah. wrong age. You know, he was yeah. an old rookie. He was yeah. what twenty-seven when he ran out of his first contract. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you were signing into a three-year deal. He's going to be thirty-year-old corner by the end of it, and you're thinking, well, in three years we might just about be ready to compete. Oh. Why would we sign a guy to have him for the three years when we're not competing? Which are his. You know, it, it, it made sense for him to go and sign somewhere else. You know, yeah, at that time. Yeah, that no, time. I, I get that. So um, I'm I'm gonna pivot away from the defense. I think we hit every position. Yeah, group. yeah, yeah. So. You brought up a point, and it made me realize that I kind of skipped over them because I was so eager to get to defense. That's just my mindset. Um, wide receivers. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that this wasn't a good year to be wide receiver needy, and we no. gave up our best wide receiver. Yes. Um, I, I obviously look for the, the low-hanging fruit, you know, Paris Campbell, who just had a first his first healthy season. And um, in his entire career, but I know he's familiar with Frank Wright and what Wright likes to do. Yeah, um, I, don't know I would point he... out that he he had his best. Like, if you look at his production over the course of last season, he, he got a lot better when they fired Frank Wright. I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he. I don't think I, I would be surprised no, if they went up. No, I don't think he's that good. If I'm honest. Yeah, you know, I think he okay. was. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't target him. I knew he was a speed merchant. You know, I've been looking at guys. I, I've seen us um, linked to McCole Ham, um, Hartman. Yeah, I, I get. I mean, who knows? I, who would I, you Who would you pick? I mean, because you have a keen eye. I, th- I think it's. 
I, if I'm honest, I don't think there are any great options at receiver this year. Like, there's not any like absolute, you know, knock it out of the park. Oh, that's that's you know, this is but some you guy. To sign somebody. Yeah. So I think. So I think it's about finding players who can fill some of the role and looking long. You know, I, it's things like Jacoby Myers in another year could be a really good value number two receiver. The issue is he's probably the top free agent in this class and he's going to get paid loads of money. You know, he he is going to get. Pay, he, he is a, a good, useful player who is probably going to get paid like an amazing one. Um, and, and similarly, you know, there's a lot of okay receivers who are probably going to get overplayed. Um, you know, what, what, I'm going to have a quick look at what the projected cap number is for Miko Harbin. You know, if Adam Thielen is relatively cheap, you know, he would make a lot of sense for a young receiver. And Miko Harbin's projected to get over 10 million a year. That's, that that's, that, that's big money. You know, I don't think he's a number one receiver. Me either. Which means me either, you're then... Me Neither. I mean, but then paying a number a number two receiver ten plus million a year—that's no, a lot no. of money. That's a look, lot look, of money. Look, look, look at how much we gave Robbie Anderson, man. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it was it, it was crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the names. So, in terms of trade rather than free agency, one name they have been linked to a bit is Van Jefferson with the Rams. But you have uh, to trade for him, right? Yeah. The, the 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 flip side of that is that. You know, he's going into the last year of his rookie contract. He hasn't put up huge numbers in his career, mm. and the Rams are trying to sell everybody. You know, the, the Rams are in complete fire sale. Yeah, it's a fire sale. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. just traded. They just traded Jalen Ramsey moments ago. Did they? Okay. Yeah, to Miami. As as we are recording. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, as we're recording. Yeah. I, I missed that. I have my phone off. For, yeah. yeah. But but you know, they're, they're they're in that kind of reset mode. Um, yeah. Van Jefferson, obviously, his dad is the receivers coach for the Panthers. You know, that would help. Oh, uh, hey, <laughs> I did not track that. You know, so Sean Jefferson is, from the it, Cardinals. Is, is Van Jefferson's dad. And, and you know, because I, I didn't, like, when I got that news, I think I was, like, busy working or doing something. Whenever we, we locked them in, I was in the middle of doing something else. And so normally I go and, like, do a quick little bio search, you know, on the guys. And, and, and I knew that Jefferson's dad was coaching with the Cardinals. I didn't put them together. Yeah, so that that that's that's Sean Jefferson's son. Ah, I mean, and, yeah, I knew I knew that Sean Jefferson and, and Van Jefferson was linked, but for some reason, when I saw that we had hired him as receivers coach, it didn't click until you and, just and, mentioned it. And, and Van Jefferson is a really useful possession receiver, a really good number two receiver. Yeah, um, you know. A bit like with Alan Robinson, you know, has suffered a bit being in that round system with Cooper Cup and, you know, uh, not great QB play for the most part. But, yeah. I mean, it depends what you have to give up to get him. If yeah. you're giving up that pick 39, I wouldn't do that. No. If you're giving up a fourth round 93. pick. Yeah, would you give him a 93-4? Given that he's in the last year of his contract, I think 93 would be a bit high. I think oh. you would hope you could get him for a fourth round pick. Yeah, um, something that you can discard. Yeah, I, I get yeah. that. Yeah, but what, uh, what about his what about his running mate, um, Robinson? Is too expensive. Uh, yeah, I think also probably beginning to be the wrong age profile again. Um, okay. You know, it's the same thing with Odell Beckham or any of these older guys. Like, okay. if you can get them cheap and they're just there to kind of help you over the year, maybe that's that works. But like, if you're signing 30, 31, 32 year old receivers. That doesn't fit great with building around a rookie quarterback. I mean, but you mentioned Thielen. Thielen is he has to be up there too. Oh yeah, he does. But I think he just might be cheaper. Oh, like, and, I, and he, because he feels, I do like Thielen. I, I love 
Thielen's game. I know that he's probably lost a step or two in the last couple seasons. Uh, but I think also I was telling someone about his lack of production recently. I said, well, it may not all be due to him this past season, especially, you know, because that Playing next to Justin that, Jefferson, he's gonna get a lot of the targets. That's what I'm saying. So and and then especially, you know, you, you had O'Donnell who had just been with the Rams and and they really force fed the ball to cup. Yeah. He basically did the same thing with Jefferson. Yeah. And so the second receiver didn't get a lot of, you know, didn't get a lot of targets. And I think Thielen just got lost in that shuffle of not being the top guy at in this yeah. offense. I, um, I, I think for him it depends a lot on what the money's like. Would I pay him ten million a year? No. Would I pay him five billion a year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah it, for it, sure. It, 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 and it I, but I do think I think if you have a guy like Thielen, I think you gotta have like a quarterback who's really, really accurate with the ball too. Because he's mean, not like getting a bunch like, of situation, like, but I think he's catching everything you throw his way though. Yeah, yeah, and I think particularly if you're not asking him to be the guy, yeah. Um, I so I think Van Jefferson as a trade option I think does make a lot of sense in terms of like middle tier free agents. I mean, there are guys you can take a risk on. I think Matt Collins might make some sense. Um, yeah, he has history with Frank. Yeah, had a good year. Had a good year in um, in, in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas this year. You know, had a career year there. Is a really good special teams player. You know, you know, yeah. as, was both with Miami and Philly. And again, if you're paying him three or four million for a one or two year deal, best case scenario, you get a number two, number three receiver. Worst case scenario, you get a number four or five receiver who's really good at special teams. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 it's, I don't think you should be throwing huge amounts of money at him, but given that you need multiple receivers, he could probably be, you know, if you, if you were either traded for Van Jefferson and got Matt Collins or signed a Thielen and Matt Collins, I think he would work as the, the sort of, you know, you'd be signing him to be a number three or number four receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, big guy, like, fits the physical profile that, that Reich seems to like for receivers. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, not, likes, not, he, likes, he, he likes big guys that can go up and get it. Yeah, Matt Collins is 6'4", 220, so he definitely yeah. fits that kind of, you know, he's not the speediest guy, but, you know, as a number two, three, four receiver, I think he'd be a decent fit. Um, if I'm honest, I think they just have to be patient with the receiver. I think you have to accept that, you know, well, if, I mean, if, the, the positive yeah. is that he already has one of those guys on the roster with Terrence Marshall, right? You know, that yeah. makes his prototype. If I think, I th- can... Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the issue that you've got is you've got someone like LaVisca who is kind of a a number I, three, yeah. a, 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 a poor number three, a good number four type yeah. receiver. Shai yeah. Smith, who knows, but it, you know, he's probably not number one or number two, but is he a number no. three, a number four, a number or a number five? You know, who yeah. knows? LaVisca can also do kick returns, which helps, you know, what, yeah. what you're what you're lacking is you know a number one you you, you don't I think the best case for unless Terrence Marshall Jr. has some ridiculous breakout year yeah. I think the ceiling for him is number two yeah but the question is is he number two is he number three or is he number four or five kind of thing so I think yeah. it's a it's but I think as with Brandon Smith at linebacker I don't think you want to close the door on him but given right. how poor of a receiver year it is both free agency and and the, the draft you know. You could go, okay, right. So for this year, TMJ is number one. Just for this year. Yeah, LaVisca is number three or number four. We yeah. want to add another receiver of a similar, you know, if you had a Van Jefferson, you know, or or someone like that, then you want to add someone like that and you probably want to add someone else who can be the number three or number four with LaVisca. So, gotcha. so, so yeah, Thielen, Van Jefferson, probably more of a possession type would help in the short term. You know, or, yeah. or you go and get just a straight, straight speed guy who, you know, 
can fill that sort of Ted Ginn type role that we saw in the, the Carolines for a while, where he can just be fast and you can yeah, just be a, just be a guy that can that can threaten to take the top off. Yeah, and, and and maybe Paris Campbell could be that. I mean, you know, you've got That's, like, that was my vision for him. Actually, it was just a guy that you know he's healthy now. He's Darius Slayton. Slayton, yeah, Slayton that's a good one. one too. Yeah, yeah, just somebody that is a threat, you know, for us to you know blow the top off the defense. Safety's got to respect them, you know, and yeah. and maybe that opens up the run game. Speaking of the run game, you know, let's yeah. transition to those guys. Um, currently, Chuba Hubbard is our RB one. Right and RB two and RB three, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right now, and so um, Dante um, Dante Foreman was somebody who they've been you know talking about prioritizing to bring back. Yeah. Um, you know, would you look at bringing Foreman back? I know I, I know especially after he took off last season. I know I was saying that I wanted him back. Um, now you have like all these guys that you can sign, right? Yeah, you know, now that we in 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 the free agency zone. Um, would you prioritize Foreman based on no. what you know about Wright's offense or are there other guys out there who you think we could do better by going to get? I certainly, I, th- I think it's one of these where like, you know, we, I talked about Bradley Bozeman, Bozeman already, but it sounds like he, Bozeman is their real priority for this offseason. Yeah. And yeah. They, they definitely want to bring him back. With Foreman, it's kind of like, the door's open, we'll see. Yeah, you know, We'd quite like to, but we're not. And I think that's kind of about right in that I think they could do worse than to bring Foreman back. I yeah. think they could do better than to bring Foreman back. I think so too. It's a deep running back draft. It's a deep running back free agency. You know, yeah. they should not be going after Saquon Barkley or whatever. You know, don't, don't, don't bust the bank for running back. But yeah. there are a number of quality running backs. And ultimately, I think the thing with Foreman is he is he, you know, I know they keep saying, oh, well, he's a better receiver than you know he's been shown to, but he's been in the NFL for like six, you know. Five, six years now at this point. Five, five, six years. And yeah. has like 28 rece- career receptions or something. Like, yeah. Maybe four years. Maybe four years. Uh, yeah, I anyway. mean, yeah, I think he missed a year for injury or just, yeah, with, yeah. just but, but he, you know, he has some ridiculously poor receiving stats. You know, he, but nobody, I mean, I think he, he kind of fits the, the. He was drafted the, six years ago. Yeah. So he fits the bruiser mold. Yeah. Right? And has t- he has 23 career receptions and has been in yeah. the NFL since 2017. Yeah, so he, he fits that bruiser role, and I think when, when you get kind of typecast that way, when they bring you in the game, they bring you in the game to to bruise, right? They're not yeah. really throwing you the ball. I think so, the I think the issue is if you, if I think maybe five or six years ago that was kind of fine. I yeah. think the issue you have with him is kind of the issue you had towards the end of Jonathan Stewart's career. Yeah, where like he was still an effective runner of the ball. Yeah. But he was just, if you wanted to throw the ball, either he was pass protecting, which is not always what you want a running back to be doing, yeah. or he was just a liability to throw the ball to at times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think without spending that much money, you can potentially do quite a bit better. I mean, don't be wrong. I don't think they should be looking for the Jamal Williams, Kareem Hunt, you know, uh, uh, looking through the list, you know. Uh, Lots of you know very expensive players who are going to cost an awful lot of money. I mean, they should not be looking at the the kind of the top tier of the running back market. I don't think. But if you look through the list, there's a lot of good names there, and you think, okay, well, you know, maybe you know Samaje P. Ryan. He had a pretty good year for Cincy the last couple of years. You know, he's similar he's, type he, guy, but he does catch the ball though. Yeah, yeah, and, and similarly, you know, um, uh, I quite like uh, uh, Damian Harris. I think he's probably sort of the best case scenario. Yeah, um, you know. Probably would cost a bit more. I think P. Ryan probably costs similar to Foreman. Maybe isn't yeah. quite a good of a ball carrier, but is a much better receiver. 
Yeah. Um, I think Harris is a better ball carrier and a better receiver, um, but probably will cost you a bit more money. But yeah. you know, given that it's quite a deep class, if if get if big money is getting thrown around elsewhere and he's sort of the number five, number six, number seven running back in the class, maybe you get him for four, five, six million a year, maybe seven million a year, rather than ten, eleven, twelve million a year. And if you yeah. can get Damian Harris for what three years, eighteen million, three years, twenty million. I think I'd rather do that than have Dante Foreman on a two-year, $8 million contract kind of thing. Because mm. I think... Well, I, can, I, think I mean, I, I can see it going either way. And I, I know, you know... Yeah, we, I think that's we, fair. We fall in love with our, you know, players really quick. You know, we fall fast and, and Foreman. I knew he was going to be good, you know, and, and it's sad because last season, I envisioned him doing a lot of what he did, but with Chris McCaffrey, yeah. right? And the fact just, the fact that they could not work that out, not just last year, but for year after year after year, this idea of you know, was it oh was it um, Anderson uh, who they got from Denver? Uh, years oh yeah, ago. yeah 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 yeah. And it was yeah. just like you know, you know, <laughs> how can how, you not figure how, out how, how to how, do this? Yeah yeah, you really it's really not that difficult. Like it's I know, know it's it's so crazy and it's so it's it's a shame. You know I I, I talk a lot of trash you know about how all that went down with Chris McCaffrey. You know, we talked extensively on here about how we think he should be used. Um, but to let him go. How San Francisco used him, really. Yeah, it, it, exactly how they used him when he got there. Exactly yeah. how they used him. And it was like, why couldn't we have somebody who could have thought like this? Because then I wouldn't have been so upset about the obsession to play him all the time. And, you know, but, but either way, all right, you know, so those are running backs. Offensive line, uh, we know that, you know, we talked about Bozeman being a priority. Um, I think it's kind of concerning to me that Corbett is injured. Um, Christensen, yeah, I, I, I think, to a lesser extent. But, you know, like, what does our interior look like, even if we bring Bozeman back? Do we need to look at some guards? Well, I think it's interesting. They still haven't cut Pat Alfline, have they? No. So I think it's interesting that they – I think that is probably because of those injuries. I think they probably would otherwise have cut him. I think okay. he, you know, I think he gives you versatile depth. I think uh, Cade Mays, I think, looked quite good as a rookie. Uh, I would not be surprised if they brought um, Cam Irving back. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I would necessarily be something I'd rush to do, but I think he clearly, they clearly it like him sense. as that. That's that sort of swing tackle, number three tackle kind of role. Well, the thing is, Camp and staying on the staff influences a lot of that, right? You yeah. Know, because he has guys that he's worked with. They know what he wants them to do. Yeah, um, and, and, yeah, and I think I, I mean, from everything I heard, I think he was also quite a good veteran in the room. Like for Icky yeah. when he was a young player, I think they thought yeah. Ken Irving was quite was good in that role. Was it was a yeah. useful sort of um, veteran voice? You know, who you know as a former first round pick who ultimately did not have the career you'd want from a first round pick, kind of had right. a, a, an experience and a perspective that was really quite useful. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know he might be back. I mean, it depends again. It depends what they do elsewhere and how much money they have to go around. Like yeah. the top end of the scale is like Jermaine Illuminor, I think would be a really good guy if they have some more money as yeah. someone who could be a starting guard or like a borderline starting right tackle in the NFL, right. but would be an elite like number six option. Yeah. But you can't necessarily afford to pay six million a year to your backup offensive line. Yeah, yeah not you, now. That's not no. where we are. You know, we, we I mean, have. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends. If, you're, if you think Corbett and uh, Christensen are not both going to be able to play week one. Yeah. Then, then paying five and a half, six million a year to somebody who's going to come in and be a starter for the first half, third of the season, and then give you maybe a year or two of really high quality, versatile depth. You know, that is worth. You know, what you don't want to do, particularly if you're going to have a young quarterback, is to have them. You know, 
you, you want to have enough depth that you don't get a couple of injuries and suddenly they're in a line of fire. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think offensive line is probably one of the hardest ones to do. I think that's something that definitely could benefit from sort of day three picks. Okay. Um, you know, building up some depth. It, it's just the issue is, is that most because obviously offensive linemen, you don't really get rotational offensive linemen. It's often yeah. quite if a, if a guy is coming to the end of his rookie contract and hasn't really played, teams are often then going back on either a little bit of preseason tape or like their draft evaluations from four years ago. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see we'll see how some of that plays out and stuff. They just move on. I, I think the the final position we have to talk about before we wrap up because we have been going for quite some time. Do you think they should sign a veteran quarterback? You know, I've been stuck on this, and I think, well, I just answer it broadly. My broad answer is yes. Yeah. Because I think every young quarterback benefits from having a veteran in the room, but not just from helping him see the game, helping them digest the playbook, helping them adjust to the rigors of being a franchise quarterback at the NFL level. I think it it gives the entire franchise some insurance. Yeah. And it allows for that that rookie, you know, because nobody knows, you know, you know, a lot of these guys have been touted as being bright, being great in the interview process, you know, great on the board, you know, but still adjusting to the NFL is very hard. And, yeah. and we, we've really seen only a few who have been good at stepping out there week one, ready to go and start yeah. and handle the pressure. There have been of very, very games. few who can do that. So with that said, I believe that we should get a veteran. Um, now that we know that we're going to be at one, I don't think it has to be like a Jimmy G or anybody like that. Uh, we have the number one overall pick. We have a guy that I expect to see in year one at some point. Um, I think that you mentioned Jacoby Brissett as being. Yeah, I, 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 I just I, I think for him, I just don't know what the price tag is going to be. I, I, and I, I think the thing for me as well as uh, everything you said is right. I also think there's a bit that I don't think when you draft a quarterback, even at number one, that you cannot assume they will be ready to play as a rookie. Right. You, know, you hope you hope they are, but it's much better for them to sit for a year or for most of a year yeah, and be ready. You know, Patrick Mahomes did not play until week seven, weeks, you know, right. week 17 as it was then. You know, there are other rookies who have done really well by sitting and not playing or, or not playing until quite a long way into the season. Yeah. You know, I, I think rushing the quarterback out, it depends who you draft, of course. You know, I think Bryce, Bryce Young probably is, has a reasonable chance of playing fairly early on. But if, you know, say it is Anthony Richardson, if you're drafting him and expecting him to play week one, you are out of your mind. I don't think you. I don't think you can play him for a year. Yeah, in which in which case you need somebody. I mean, I know this is not how teams should think, but it, it is how teams do think. You need somebody you can convince fans you should be continuing to start for a year. In that case, yeah, you know whether that's Alex Smith as it was or or whoever it is, you need somebody who you can you can turn to the fan base and say no. And I think this is the issue is it might be Matt Corral. The best case scenario for the Panthers is that Matt Corral starts week one, looks like a decent quarterback, and they can then flip him for picks. What 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 happens, you know, because I was a guy that once we drafted Matt Corral, I really was rooting for him to be yeah. our guy, regardless whether Baker was here or not. Like I yeah, figured, yeah. you know, Matt Corral, like I hope he shows out. I hope all that stuff that we were that we were told about him, quick release 
good feet, you know, all that stuff. I hope that it pans out. Now we're in a situation where we just traded up in the draft. You got this young guy who may have thought that he was the next guy too. Now he knows I'm not going to be the guy, at least by by design. And let's say he goes out there, Vincent, um, and don't just play okay. Let's say like he plays better than okay, like Brock Purdy-ish okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that young guy, the 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 fresh rookie. Let's call him Trey Lance. What's that? Let's just call him Trey Lance. Let's call so, him Trey Lance. Let's call yeah, him Trey just, Lance. Just, yeah. 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 And so what do you do if Matt Corral actually like exceeds expectations? I mean, it doesn't seem probable right now, but it, it is possible. It's what happens if he exceeds expectations? That's one of those good problems. Okay. I yeah, mean, you know, you know, having having two players who might be able to play the most value you know, in the worst case scenario, you find which one you think is best, and you trade the other one for as most as you possibly can. That's what I would say. That's you know, what I would yeah, say. Yeah, it, it, but it depends at what point you're confident of what player. Because yeah. if Matt if Matt Corral is really good through five or six weeks, yeah. I think you want him to play out the rest of that season, unless you, you think would. it's just unless you think he's definitely not that good and he's just had an abnormally good five six games, and you want to make you want to sell high before he tanks. Because the thing is, it is you probably will not be sure of that rookie. Even at the end of that first season, you will still be uncertain of that rookie. And so you it, what you don't want to end up doing is trading away Matt Corral for a first-round pick to end up with a guy who ends up being nowhere near as good as Matt Corral. So and that's, you, you, and, and that's that, what I'm saying. But that's why I think in that situation where you have, particularly as they both have, you know, Matt Corral at the end of next year or the end of this coming season will still have two years left on his contract. Right. You know, it's not like he's going into the final year of his rookie deal and you're then like, we have to make a decision. Do we re-sign this guy or not? Uh, you, you can you can be patient with that decision. You've got yeah. at least another year if you want to to explore those options. No, you, you, could, you could go into camp in 2024 with a Matt Corral, CJ Stroud quarterback competition yeah. and, 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 I- and, and not have to feel like, and do that from a position of strength, not through a position of weakness. Yeah, I mean, I would love that actually. I mean, I'm not saying that I need for Matt Corral to beat out whoever the first overall yeah, two, pick is. Two, two, two franchise quarterbacks would be nice. Yeah, I just, I just, I kind of want that to happen, man, because I think he still has it. And the thing that keeps that keeps coming back to me, I know they haven't talked really highly of him, or you know, like they haven't said that they've spoken with him much, you know, when interviewed. Um, but Frank Wright, you know, I think if he is worth his salt. You got Jim Caldwell in the building. You got a guy like Josh McCown. If they actually get their eyes on this guy and you know, based on what they want to do scheme-wise, like, I can see how Matt Corral could work for them, right? Yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think ultimately, whoever they end up drafting, assuming they you know, let's work on the assumption they're going to draft a quarterback first overall. Whoever they end up drafting, you want them to have to earn that job. Yeah. You you don't want yeah. to be in a position where they get it de facto and you know, yeah. end up Zach Wilsoning. Um, you know, you and I, I think adding in a veteran quarterback. I mean, the, the issue is right now Matt Corral could be absolutely rubbish, and I think what right. you don't want to end up with is he looks rubbish through preseason. He goes out in week one because the rookie isn't ready, throws three picks, looks absolutely awful, and you can't sit there going like, well. No, we believe in Matt's the guy, and you don't. You don't want to be the situation where, like the quarterback. You, you don't want to have to be in a situation where you, you're either starting some awful quarterback who can't get the job done, or play a rookie who isn't ready. And I think yeah. that's where signing a veteran helps. Is 
don't get me wrong, I think trading up for number one shifts that focus lower. I think you're now looking, you're now, you know, it's no longer, if they were staying at nine, you say, okay, well, we want a bridge quarterback now. We want someone who can genuinely compete with Matt yes. Corral for this year. If we draft a rookie, great, they're in part of that competition too. If we don't, well, at least we have someone who can sort of, you know, we can start to build around in the short term, be our Alex Smith, and then maybe bring in someone later. I think yeah. it, given that you know you're taking a quarterback, that changes the paradigm somewhat. And well, you're, looking, you you're more looking for a Sam Bradford for Jared Goff than you are an Alex Smith for Patrick Mahomes. No, and, or someone and who can right. just, yeah. yeah. You're right. This is the thing that I was thinking about yesterday, just randomly came to my mind. I was like, you know, the things that I mentioned that you need that rookie quarterback to 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 get from a vet in the room. I was like, you know, Josh McCown kind of is that too. Yeah. Um, he helps with that. I'm not saying that he totally replaces that, you know, because he's not going to get out there and do, you know, and 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 yeah. I think thing is, and, he, yeah, I think what he's not what he can't do is stand there and take the hits in week one or two if yeah, yeah, he yeah. isn't ready. He can't he can't do that for you, but but man, it would be nice if if Matt Corral could, you know, like if he gets back and is healthy enough and is ready to, but you know, the problem is the reason why I was still bringing a vet with all that in mind is the, is the fact that we don't know if Matt Corral can is, or not. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, he is a complete unknown. Yeah. Um, it'd be like, so yeah. It'd be like assuming, you know, say in 2020, they're like, you know, no, Will Greer is going to be our starting quarterback. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you're basing that off no information, particularly with no a new coaching staff. You just have no, no feel for that at all. So, yeah, no, I think yeah. whether that's a Jacoby Brissett or a Sam Darnold or a Carson Wentz. I wouldn't be. I would. I mean, in, in Carson Wentz, I know I cringe when I see it. You know, there was a time where I thought... He's not good. Carson Wentz. What's that? I mean, he's, he's not good. No, but, but there but, was a time where I thought Carson Wentz was going to be good, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was when he was with Frank Wright. So, yeah. and and if, if, if he can be a guy, and I don't know if he's set up that way or not, but It'll look bad optically because Frank Wright tried that before. And it wasn't that he even looked bad when he played with Frank Wright in Indy, right? No. It's just that they associate that situation as a failure because they lost to Jacksonville yeah. that, that game. I, I mean, obviously, Jacoby Prissett played with Frank Wright in Indy as well. Um, but Carson Wentz arguably had a better year than Jacoby Brissett performance-wise. Yeah, I think he possibly was playing with a better roster at that point as well. He was, uh, he was. I, mean, I think Brissett is a good, I think, you know, he's, is he a franchise quarterback? I would be not. I, I think he, I think Brissett is the best case scenario. I think depending on how, what, what moves you make at other positions, you probably just don't have the money for a Brissett. I would rank him like this. Just based on what I think I know. I probably would start with Brissett. I just most objective I can be. Sam Carson in that in that class of quarterbacks that won't expect to be the long-term starter. Yeah. Won't even think that they can earn that position. But this gives them an opportunity to prove that they still belong at least yeah. in a backup or bridge role. And I don't know if Sam has I mean, accepted I mean, that. I I, I think Brissett has proven that already. I think he, yeah. you know, I think he wants a chop. I think he would probably want, I, I think the question is, would he want to come to Carolina knowing he's not going to be the guy long-term? And I think for him, I think you'd only get Brissett if he didn't think he had a better option. I don't, I think he wants a chance I don't to know compete. Where, I don't know where a better option would be for him. Washington. Um, nah, they, they, they want something. I think they'd do something 
I think, I mean, if they don't stick with Howell, you know, Ashley, I'm gonna say this on on the staff, and it probably doesn't mean anything. I'm watching, I'm watching them for the whole Lamar Jackson fallout. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't look that probable, you know, but I'm hearing, and these aren't credible sources, by the way, <laughs> but I am hearing that they are paying more attention to that situation than they're letting on. And then when you heard Ron Rivera start the, uh, you know, you know when he when they asked him about Sam Howell being the, the star QB, he was like, well, he would start camp as QB1 or something like that, off-season yeah. activities QB1. I think they're going to make a swing. It may not be loud, you know, and if it's not for Lamar, it may be for somebody else. You know, I don't know who else is out there. But I, I think with bringing in enemy, like what I don't think enemy can afford as the OC in Washington is to finally get his shot to prove that he can do this outside of Andy Reid. And be stuck with a quarterback who can't do it. Yeah, to be stuck with a a fifth rounder. But I think Brissett, I think, so for Brissett, I think you're looking, I think places that make sense for Brissett are like Atlanta, Tampa Bay, um, Washington, places where he has a legitimate chance of being the guy. Oh, just FYI, Tampa just came out, or they came out and reported this morning that um, Tampa is leaning towards Baker. I think Brissett's a better player. He probably is, yeah. based on what we saw last year. But but if they already committed to Baker being their guy, then that's one less spot for. Oh, oh yeah, I've got of course. But I think he's he's in that market, and I think Baker is in that market as well. I think I think Baker is. is good, but he's the guy who's like he wants, and Baker's now like chance four, but wants yeah. a chance to prove that they can be. I mean, to that Brissett's on chance like four or five as well. You know, yeah, they they want a chance to prove that they can be the guy because they have been able to be the guy for a bit. But you know, Brissett got the job in Indy because. They didn't, you know, luck got hurt and stuff, and he was never meant to be the guy. And then he got the chance in Miami for a little bit, but again, wasn't meant to be the. You know, he's yeah. never, they've never, he's never been signed somewhere with the expectation that he can be the guy. It's always been he's been signed to be the backup, and then has gotten a chance to start through injury or whatever. I mean, I honestly think, based on what we can see today, I think that's all he would get at this point, too. You know, like yeah. he may even go to Tennessee, you know, because I think. They have a little bit more open situation than what's being discussed. I don't think they've committed to Tannehill to come back. No, um, I, mean, I, 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 yeah, that that's a, seems like a weird place. I mean, if I was him, I think I'd probably rather I'd rather be in a different situation. I don't think that's a good place to be in. It may not be, you know. I'm just so I don't know, man. But you know, the bottom line, you know, I think that we should, you know, pursue one of those type of guys. You know, and I'll be okay with Sam being back. You know, with the plan on him not being a priority over the rookie, obviously, and, you know, to just a fair competition between him and, like, a Matt Corral, and when Matt yeah. Corral gets healthy, um, I wouldn't mind having the insurance on the roster of a vet QB. Um, but when I think about, you know, ones that a young QB can glean from, I might go with somebody who might have had a better experience than Sam has had so far, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think, I think think Sam would be there purely to – because he can help play in the short term. I don't play I, right I, now. I don't think he's a bad guy or anything. I just think he's not. You know, I I don't think he's got. A, I don't think he's a. He's not sort of a veteran teacher kind of quarterback. I think another guy that like Reset would be. I think. Yeah, another guy to watch for, and very you know low key is is a uh, Nick Foles. They're not talking yeah. about him right now, you know. But Nick Foles is very familiar with Frank Wright. Matter of fact, 
Um, I think I read somewhere where he said that he would have retired last year if he didn't get the opportunity to go to India and play with Frank. Yeah. So they, I think he's really close to Frank, and and so it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see them go after a guy like Foles, you know, especially now that we have the number one pick uh, versus number nine. Yeah, I think that it is definitely that kind of market. It's not the Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers. No, you know, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, you know, it, it's you know, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater. I think they probably burned that particular bridge. Um, they, they, and, and it's sad because Teddy would be perfect for this scenario. <laughs> and, and if I'm honest, not to rehash this argument again, I think he was kind of perfect for where they were at the time as well. I think that was. And they should. Have, if they had rolled that Teddy train until either last year or this year. If, yeah, position right now. Yeah, if 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 you'd have gone and drafted Justin Fields and just stuck him behind Teddy and just you know, yeah, you know, yeah, you're right, no. man. It's gonna make me it's upset. I'm not gonna talk. Yeah, let's yeah, not yeah, talk yeah. about that. Hey, so this episode has been about free agency more so than anything else. This is scouting the culture, and you know, it's not just scouting uh, in uh, college prospects. It's scouting. You know, NFL prospects, you know, in free agency too. So it's a great way to kick off season three. Um, yep. So I'm glad to be back with you, Vincent. Um, yeah, likewise. Anything else that you want to, you know, to to leave with the audience before we shut down? No, I think I've kind of, I think I've, I've, hit, I've, I've hit everything so far, I think. so. Yeah, we, we've hit a lot, you know, and if you're still listening after all this time, you know, we started a little bit later than we like to in the season. And so we, you know, we we tried to, you know, get as much as we could into this first episode of season three. Um, I don't have anything left to share with you all. Um, wishing us a great first week of free agency and uh, uh, hopefully a peaceful lead up to the draft, you know, over the next five to six yeah. weeks. So um, with that said, if you haven't already, you can find me on Twitter at Panthers Culture. Uh, follow me there. Um, I try to keep it entertaining, try to keep it exciting. You can follow uh, Vincent at the Richardson 444 on yep. Twitter. Um, same thing. Uh, Vincent, again, is the managing editor at the Riot Report. A lot of the things you see from the Riot Report um, in terms of the articles and tweets come from Vincent. And um, so, you know, with that said, you know, we're very eager to get the, the all season underway this week, hoping that we land um, some of these guys that we mentioned today or some guys that we didn't mention, but, you know, the objective is to get better. And I think, you know, that we have done that so far, just hoping that we, you know, stick the landing um, as yeah. we get closer to the draft. Good way of putting it. Yep. So see you guys next week. Thank you for joining. Oh, before we go, if you haven't done so already, please find us on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Uh, rate review and subscribe if you haven't done it already thank you goodbye